Like, John, you normally hear when I use the sound pad, right? John? Oh, did I lose John? Dude, you know what I remember? I remember a playtest session where we were talking, and John fell asleep on the playtest. And so we all signed off, and he was just signed on sleeping. <laughs> and Gabe had Gabe had it that, recorded that with, like, right. an hour of John just, like... <laughs> What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. And we did it. We finally did it. We finally were able to sit down with Josiah and have him on the podcast. I've been trying to hook this up since early November, um, but it finally worked out with all of our schedules to have um, him on. We also have John Early on. And there's a lot of different topics covered in here, so we'll get right into it. And thanks for listening. All right, look, guys, I'm sorry. I hate to meet you right here at the beginning of the episode and hit you with some bad news, but... There was some issues with some of the audio, and I was not able to salvage the conversation. Psych! I'm just kidding. Um, we do have the conversation, but I do want to let you know up front that because this episode's already extended because of a long conversation with Josiah and John, I am skipping the recent news section, and we are not doing that. And we'll pick that back up next week for those of you that look forward to that. So just want to let you know that, and also... To go ahead and go on record and say that this was absolutely the toughest editing job that I've done since starting the podcast. And it's not just trying to maintain the quality of the recordings, which unfortunately was not the best from John and Josiah's end. Not that mine is super great, but there is some outside noise and things and there's a slight echo with Josiah's. But beyond all of that, there was also a delay that we were dealing with with Josiah's setup, however he was recording, there was a delay, and it wasn't just a static delay. So it wasn't like it was off by 15 seconds, and then we fixed that, and it's good the rest of the way. It was a dynamic. It changed throughout the recording. So while we was recording the conversation, at some points, he was able to react instantly to what we were saying, me and John. And then at other times, there was like a 15-20 second delay. And so I had to work with that and constantly tweak the timing of the conversation to get it into um, something that you guys would want to listen to. But definitely uh, did my best. So just want to let you know that if you notice any issues with the timing, I tried my best. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a paid professional, so you get what you you get what you pay for, and you didn't pay for much. So. <laughs> On top of that, I would just like to uh, say that it was definitely a really fun conversation getting to interact with Josiah for the first time. So we had a lot of fun and hope you guys have fun listening to the conversation we had. We'll get right into it. Thanks for listening. Oh, referring to uh, some things I heard through the grapevine, I heard early took over Covenant Gaming. Is that correct? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for real? That's cool. So since uh, since you're running that website now, you want to pull it up so you can you can figure out how many titles I've won because I don't I don't remember. (laughs) 
Well, cool. Well, how about I pull that up, John? If you want to get started on your outline things, we can we'll, we can chat for a little bit and have a little bit more flow to it uh, through this outline. And then, honestly, this might this might be a four hour podcast episode for for Chris and and Agur who are saying that they wanted more content. <laughs> so I found myself getting on the forum like in preparation and going back and trying to read stuff that <laughs> like it's been so long, <laughs> man. But I was doing that. I listened to Top Cut Savvy to get ready. <laughs> Did you really? So I uh, I pulled up um, Redemption Lackey and like I went on the forum and like figured out how to re-download Lackey and like just did a little playing around with deck building from like if I was going to go to Mr. Classic, that kind of thing. So just trying to get, you know, trying to get my head around it and get ready. Uh, I, I guess it hasn't come out that I, I actually am not going to be able to make it. Uh. So I talked to Jay a couple weeks ago on the phone and uh, just told him, you know, like I'd love to, but I just can't give the time it would take to really get ready. I told him, I don't want to go down there and get my butt kicked by John and lose five zero <laughs> and embarrass myself. So, okay. Well, John's going to lose to Mark Valake in the first round. So <laughs> that's the, uh, the community wild card. He won a play in tournament and he is facing John. Who? What's his name? I, I don't think I recognize that name. Mark Valake, he's from New York area. I believe Moravia, New York. Yeah, I don't think I've met him. I think previously he played around like 2010 to 2013, somewhere in that range, and then was out for a while. And now he's he's been back for probably going on two years now or so. Okay. So maybe I should remember him and I don't, and that's bad. <laughs> you started playing in 2012, so there was potential that you guys just missed each other in, in the timing. Sure. I guess we'll go ahead and get started with the stuff I've got here on the outline. So officially recording now, I guess, to the A-roll, not just the (laughs) B-roll. So the community knows about, obviously, I am John Hendricks, John Early, Early and Hendricks here forth on the podcast, just so you can tell us apart if you can't do so just from the voice alone. But not many people know about you, Josiah, since you have been away from the game since around the time of the Nationals of 2020 that got shifted around from Pennsylvania to Maryland. Um, Sometime shortly after that, you stepped away from the game. So what's an update on just Josiah since then? Like where's life taking you and what do you want to share with the community? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm not exactly sure the date. It was in June. June, I believe, was when that tournament happened. Or maybe it was August. I forget exactly when that tournament happened. But um, since then, my fourth child was born. So I have a son, Zephaniah, who's now nine, and then three girls, and my youngest is turning three here in a couple days. So that's, you know, that's the biggest thing. Being a dad has been a huge part of my life. Like it's, I would consider it the most fun, most enjoyable, most challenging, um, yet greatest part of my journey so far in life. Um, I finished up my biblical studies degree, um, finished up uh, the process of ordination, which had an additional 20-some classes. Uh, for the church, uh, for the Wesleyan church. And so now I'm in, an ordained minister in the Wesleyan church. I'm serving at a church in Hanover, Pennsylvania, um, leading worship, small groups, young adult ministries, that kind of thing. Um, I've had some really cool opportunities to preach at some youth camps. Uh, in fact, I'm excited this summer. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get to preach at Hollow Rock Camp, um, which is a 10-day holiness camp in Ohio. Uh, usually gets 125 or so teenagers out for that. So I'm excited for that opportunity just to see what God does in that space. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a, a brief recap of the last couple of years. Josiah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump right in there. I'm sorry, Hendricks. Dude, so, like, just being honest, you have no idea how badly I just want to chuck this entire beautiful, gorgeous outline that you have written completely out the window and just, like, talk to Josiah like bros. I mean, it's just – but we're, we're going to go through it for – You for, can you can do that. No, I, I'm not going to do that because I think you have some really good questions on here um, that, that I want to get the answers to too. But I just want to – so I might go off the rails a little here and hopefully the Redemption community enjoys a four-hour podcast. I think I think Chris and, uh, and some other people were, were really – really wanting some more content and you you teased them and said hey maybe john will come on and we'll be super long and if you get me and josiah rolling we we can roll um but i want to just backtrack slightly josiah you talked about being ordained minister in wesleyan and it just like triggered in my head is that like uh is that the same denominational branch that's like all this ashbury revival thing going on right now can you talk about that i'm just like super curious about that whole thing yeah so um it's actually asbury um is is the university where that uh broke out a couple of days or I guess a couple of weeks ago now at this point, um, which it's interesting. My mom's actually an alum of Asbury. So it's all part of the holiness movement, um, a Wesley and Arminian tradition. Um, so John Wesley actually brought on a, a young man named Francis Asbury and sent him over to the United States. And then Francis Asbury is known for riding like close to 270,000 miles on horseback uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in the United States. And, uh, he's like, he's who Asbury is named after. And so they come from the same tradition, from the same backgrounds, um, that puts a focus on responding to salvation that Jesus offers us, um, by choosing to serve him and surrender completely. And then that surrender is met by the Holy spirit, empowering you to live um, a holy life. And that doesn't necessarily mean a perfect life, but rather a life that your bend is now towards Christ instead of away from it so that you demonstrate in a, in a radical way, holiness in a communal way, meaning you love the people around you, you serve the broken, the needy, the hurting. Um, and it's just been marked by uh, a history of embracing the other, which is really cool. Like the first suffragette, a meeting for women's rights to vote and for women's rights comes out of this tradition, comes out of this branch of the church. Um, the Wesleyan tradition, like the Methodists, um, were known for standing up for slaves and for fighting for the freedom for slaves. And like not all churches, not all denominations and histories were doing that. And so there's a, there's a really cool movement of social justice that has emerged out of the holiness church for hundreds of years. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of that and see what God's doing in that space. And there is a fresh outpouring happening at Asbury university. Um, it's pretty amazing what's been happening there. I've been reading about <clears throat> uh, some of the testimonies coming out of that space. But one of the things that really amazed me is the fact that it's been so absent of celebrity. I heard of a number of big name worship leaders, quote unquote, big name celebrity worship leaders who offered to come and lead worship at Asbury. Um, and they got turned down. They got sent away um, because Asbury was like, this is about humility. This is about students leading. This is about what God wants to do, not about bringing in some big name celebrity to make it cool and popular. Um, and they're really transitioning from this place of becoming people who are consumers of worship to people who are producers of worship. And uh, the difference in that being like a consumer of worship says, what can I get out of it? How can I have a good experience? Does it sound cool to me? How can I be lifted out of my 
muck and mire where becoming a producer of worship is saying, I'm going to take my eyes off of the struggles in my life. And instead, I'm going to set my eyes on Jesus Christ. Um, and then I'm going to praise him because I want to come to worship to produce worship for him. I want to say to him, you are lovely. You are beautiful. You are kind. You are gentle. You've bought my freedom uh, from sin and you alone are worthy of adoration and praise. And I think by lifting up Jesus, we please the father because the father is glorified through the son. And we please the Holy Spirit who points us towards Jesus Christ and says, you know, uh, really part of what you're made for is to worship Jesus. And so we please the triune God by lifting Jesus up. And then there's scripture that says, if Jesus would be lifted up, I would draw all people unto myself. And so I think what's happening at Asbury is there's been a there's been an absence of celebrity. There's been a presence of humility. And then Jesus has been lifted up and he's drawing all people into himself in a really beautiful way. See, Hendrix, you see what we get when we go off script? We just got like five awesome minutes of everything that like is so cool about Josiah, who he is as a person and where his focus is. And frankly, what, you know, it's, and it's obviously it's different, right? I mean, redemption is a game, but it is, it is a tool that we use. And I know there's been some debate, you know, on the discord recently about, you know, how we should be and whether it should be a, a ministry tool in a, in a, you know, a tool that we use in that way. And, you know, I'm one and I'm not theologically trained by any means like Josiah clearly is. And Hendricks, I know you've got some background in, in the church as well, but I, I firmly believe that God uses us all in, in our own ways and our own capabilities in, in however he, he needs. And, you know, if, if he can use, use, you know, this, this church and this university and in that way, and if he can use, you know, a, a broken tax collector, then surely he can use the game redemption as flawed as it is sometimes. And as, you know, flawed as we are as people and an imperfect medium, surely he can use that too. Right. Absolutely. You did say a broken tax collector. You guys made him broken with the drawability. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know who this you guys is. Go blame Tyler. If it's a, if it's draw related, blame Tyler. No, so can I say something else about Asbury, if that's all right with you? Please, I will let you talk about Asbury all night long, Josiah. Okay, so there's a woman in my church um, who, she got connected to us through my sister about four years ago, who was battling with depression and anxiety and was even contemplating contemplating ending her own life, right? Um, and she, she got connected to us about four years ago, and we've watched her go through a radical transformation where... God's healed her of depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying she never battles those things, but she's no longer suicidal and she's given her heart to Christ. And um, she actually went to Asbury um, to step into that experience and just see what it was like. And her experience was pretty amazing because she went in there with a ton of back pain and a bunch of struggle in that area. Um, and people prayed over her and she experienced a, a, a sense of healing. Um, she, she didn't call it a complete physical healing, but like she felt like God spoke to her and said, he's enough that he's going to carry her through. And she has had a sense of reduced pain in that space. Um, my mom and my brother, Jesse, not my brother, Jerome, my brother, Jerome played a bunch of redemption. Um, and he's a big part of how I got connected to redemption, but my brother, Jesse, um, has Tourette syndrome along with 16 additional comorbid disorders. Um, so he has battled depression to the point where he's been bedridden for months at a time. Um, and he's physically healthy. It's just mentally, his mind has been so um, warped and ravaged by the mental illnesses that he has. Um, but he and my mother went down to Asbury and he spent some time down there and they, they spent a couple hours 
uh, a group of students spent a couple hours praying over Jesse. And since he's been back, it's been a, close to a week now, he is walking in a new freedom and a new strength that I've not seen out of him for about four or five years. Cause he had a, he had a severe crash about four years ago. And, um, he's been basically immobilized in just about every facet you could imagine for the last four years. And he felt like God was calling him to go down to Asbury and he did. And since he's been back, he's experienced zero anxiety, zero depression. He's stepped back into coming to church. Um, he's been to several events, like it's amazing what God's doing in that space. Like my little brother is a walking, living miracle of God's power and what's happening um, in that space. And I I can't put my finger on it fully um, to say exactly what's happening, but there's something fresh. There's something unique about what God's doing in this space. And my prayer is that Asbury will begin to send students out that they'll send people to spread this fire, that it would continue to grow. Um, and go to other churches and go where the Lord has intended for it to go. And my prayer is that God would continue to soften soil um, so that when the workers are sent out, the soil will be prepared to receive the seed. Amen. Amen. Hey, you brought up Jerome for a minute there, and it seems only natural. We're, we're talking about you, and you've been away for a little while, and obviously Jerome's been away for longer than that. But can you give us an update on him? Last that I heard and connected with him, he was working on some some hiking-type things where he's doing real uh, kind of intentional servitude, praying-type things, um, going out with very little and seeing how you know God provides along the way. And um, he was doing it through the United States, and then he was like prepping for a trip in like India or something like that. Is that do I have a good recollection there, Josiah? Can you tell me about where he's been a little bit in the past couple of years too? Sure. So um, <clears throat> Jerome was in Bible college and God told him, this is not where you're supposed to be. Like, I want to send you out. And God really challenged him to sell everything that he owned um, and then to walk across the United States, taking nothing with him and to depend on God for food for clothing for shelter and jerome walked across the united states for about 18 months over 5,000 miles um, and everywhere he went he just preached the gospel um, found opportunities to serve he's got stories of um, literally one time walking in arizona where he found a, a prostitute who had passed out from alcohol um, in in a ditch in the middle of the day and she, he picked her up and carried her and got her food and like got to minister to her and like just lots of stories like that of how God used him. He spent some time serving at orphanages, um, serving in a, in a monastery um, during that 18 months. And then when he returned from that, he did two stints with a, with a group that travels across, um, across the world. They do 11, they do 11 different countries over 11 months. And Jerome went on a, on a, went with a group that was focused on ministering in the 1040 window. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what the 1040 window is, it's a but it's an area of longitude and lang longitude and land. Well, yeah, I can't think of what the word is, um, but it's latitude, like an area of the United States close to the Middle East. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you very much, John. Um, yeah, so he spent a lot of time in that area where Christians are persecuted, sometimes imprisoned, and even killed for their faith, ministering in that area over 11 months. And then he came back um, to the U.S. and currently he's traveling, looking for opportunities that God's called him to, to speak, to engage, to ask for prayer support um, and even financial support because he believes God's called him to walk across India 
And so when he finishes up um, this time of raising prayer support and preaching, um, he's going to go to India. And just like he walked across the United States, um, he plans to walk back and forth across India, preaching the gospel and elevating the name of Jesus. So um, he still hasn't gone to India, but he's in the final stages of preparation. Like this is a plan that God laid out for him to follow. And so now he's in stage three of the plan and then stage four is to go. So if uh, if anyone has churches that they want to connect with Jerome or have Jerome come speak at their church, um, you can reach out to me and that's fine with me. If John uh, Hendricks puts my contact info somewhere connected with the podcast, um, you can email me or reach out to me and I can connect you with Jerome if, if any of you are interested in, in connecting with him for anything. Well, I think Hendricks wants to get him on for an episode of, of this just to talk about his history and redemption and all his cool misery things, get some of those stories that you were alluding to. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about Threshing Floor is that it's, it's redemption, right? And it's, it's redemption grounded, but I feel like most episodes, you get a lot of insight into the individual beyond just, just the redemption aspect of it. And I think that's, that's really cool. I mean, we've talked for, you know, almost 20 minutes now and, and we haven't talked about redemption except for like two very small oblique references. <laughs> Hendrick's got to be like chomping his fingernails over there trying to get it pulled back. <laughs> I'm fine, man. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, um, if you get in contact with Jerome, he would probably do this. He, he'd, you know, figure it out and make time to, to check in with you guys. Is there somewhere though, that if someone wants to, after hearing that about his story, walking across the United States, plan to walk across India. Is there um, somewhere that they can go and read about his story or whatnot? Like, does he have a collection of stories that he's encountered that he's put together or something like that? So um, here's the honest truth, man. He was writing a journal that he wanted to produce as a book. And on the very end of his journey, his backpack got stolen with his laptop and his journal and all of his stories. So he has not yet written it. Um, But he does have a website, which I'm trying to pull up here, um, where there's a couple things posted. And then Facebook, he's on Facebook. Um, and so those are the best two places to really check out what's going on with him. Probably Facebook's actually better. And I'll be honest with you. My brother is, uh, he's a unique cat. Like there's, ah. there's, he's not really into social media. He's not really into the internet and like, you know, so the, like it's a hard aspect for him. So there's not a ton, a ton of stuff. Um, but let me hear. Let's see. Okay. So wayfarersfeet.com is his website. I was just pulling it up. And there's a couple videos on there, I believe, a couple of his sermons so you can hear him preach. Um, he's got a link to a blog that I don't I don't know if there's too many posts on there, a couple. Um, but Wayfair is W-A-Y-F-A-R-E-R-S. And then feet, F-E-E-T dot com. And, uh, and you can check in with him there. And then the other thing is just on. To say, Go ahead, John. To, to say that uh, Jerome is an odd cat is kind of like saying you were halfway decent at redemption back in the day. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But we love him. We love Jerome. Yeah, I clicked on Jerome's website here and I'm just looking at a couple pictures. I see one picture of a, of a Mayan temple where people were sacrificed um, to the gods and Jerome literally stood on that temple and proclaimed that sacrifice because people were still bringing fruits and, and like other kinds of sacrifices, drink sacrifices, bread sacrifices to that altar. 
And um, like Jerome stood on that altar and preached that you should have no other gods before me and like called out idolatry. And so, I mean, like that's who he's called to be and that's what he does. And it's amazing what God has used him to do. So Describing him, he sounds like uh, a modern day, almost like John the Baptist, like countercultural, like doesn't want the internet, doesn't want to be as connected with that because he's focused on his personal journey and what he's supposed to be doing. Um, in the eyes of the Lord, and that's really cool. It's absolutely it's so true. sad that you never hear about those people in the news. and You hear about the people that give Christians a bad name. Like, you hear people talk about, well, I was hurt in the church because so-and-so did this, or, you know, some pastor from a large church in this city and town did this, and now that's what's in the news. But you, something that takes somebody so far removed from what someone of their age is currently, you know, like the, the norm for that. And this is like completely counter to that and following and dedicating their life for their belief. And those people rarely ever get to have their story put in front of people uh, in mass numbers. So I'm glad that you've shared the website with us. And I mean, I'm looking at it now and it looks pretty cool. Um, obviously not going to go all deep into it since we're recording a podcast, yeah. but Guys, I would encourage you to definitely check out the website and, you know, we'll get that contact information posted. So if you have churches that want to reach out and link up, a lot of times you have people gathering funding for missions and going abroad. And it's like they come to church and they tell you what they're doing. But it's it's a different level when it's like word of mouth and then you hear a story like this and you can go and I don't know, it, it just feels more like genuine because I'm hearing you tell it and you're as passionate about it. I mean, I know that's your brother and all, but you get a lot more passion for it when it's word of mouth because you believe in what he's doing so strongly that you're here on a podcast. We're supposed to be talking about you and you're talking about him and his ministry. Yeah. And like, you just feel how real it is when it's that. Yeah. Sorry, Hendrix. Let me jump in and just say something about that point that you just made, um, being passionate about someone else's stuff. You know, I think something that has happened in the church at large is we've moved into a space where we fall in love with the gifts that God has given rather than with the fact that God is the gift giver. And so we have a ton of people who follow pastors because they're really good teachers. And we have a ton of people who follow singers and musicians because they're phenomenal on guitar or they sound really good. And then these pastors or these, these teachers or these singers, they fall away or they struggle in their faith journey. And so then the person who was following them begins to struggle in their faith journey. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with the fact that they were following gifts that God has given rather than hearing the voice of the shepherd and following the gift giver. And so like part of what both Jerome and I would say to you is follow the gift giver. Jerome doesn't want people to follow him because God's called him to be in this space or called him to this type of missions work. Jerome wants people to see what is happening in the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven is being brought to earth and have people drawn into that. They might look at the giver of gifts and offer him the worship and praise and fall in love with the voice of the shepherd rather than with the voice of the talented preacher or the talented music leader so that people might um, move away from being so tied up with the gifts and instead move into intimate relationships with Jesus Christ. All right, John, you got any idea on where we go from here to transition back? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think we just do a hard cut transition. I mean, I think that's a really great 
catch up and recap of kind of, you know, where you've been, where, you know, your brother's been and, and kind of what you have going on in your life. You know, I think, I think that's a really good point for us to kind of transition back and sure the past couple of years talking back on redemption. Now, a lot's changed. You know, we've had a lot of new rulings come out and um, rotation happen and some other things like that. So like, give us some perspective of, of where you sat two years ago, you know, talk about like what you recall about what the game was like um, back before you kind of stepped away. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, so when I, when I walked away from redemption, the game was kind of in a state where whoever went first wins because decks were so finely tuned and so fast. And there were so many unique um, tools to tutor cards to, uh, basically set up and explode. I mean, I think there's a couple throne situations where you could literally get through like 32 or 33 of your 50 cards um, before your opponent ever gets to make a move. Um, and that, you know, I guess that's not counting souls. So if you pull all your souls out, you're talking about getting through 39, 40 cards. And I know John had uh, a couple decks that were like, like, oh, I can't even remember what, what it was like endless treasures. And it got pulled out with uh some territory class card. Um, I don't know. There's like just so much crazy stuff where basically if you went first, your win ratio was probably up like 80%. It might be delivered. Um, So like that was kind of where the game was. I was a big fan of wanting uh, rotation to come. So like, I'm, I'm happy that it came, but I just wasn't able to maintain uh, the focus to stay with it. And I think part of that is, is because my makeup is whatever I give myself to, I give all of myself to. And I knew with where I was with having a fourth child on the way, um, with finishing up biblical studies, pursuing ordination, wanting to step into full-time ministry, that my hands were going to be pretty tied up in that space. And I knew I wouldn't be able to give myself to redemption the way I wanted to. Um, so it would become a frustration for me. And it's not necessarily about winning as much as it is. I want to be the best version of me that I can um, in playing redemption or whatever I invest in. And it would be hard for me to feel like if you would have invested more time, if you would have played a little more, if you would have tested this deck better, um, you might have done better. Like that feels hard for me. It's, and it's not necessarily about winning and losing. It's more just about my own self-performance and self-evaluation. So just like showing up out of nowhere and like trying to slap a deck together with new cards and like, it just, that's not for me. It's just not, it's just doesn't, it doesn't meet my makeup and who I am as a person. So have you kept up with the game at all since you stepped away? Um, truthfully, I haven't. Um, just because I was, talking to Jay a little bit about maybe doing uh, this Mr. Classic tournament. I pulled up like year term games and was just kind of looking around on some stuff. And I saw like a new authority of Christ card and I remember reading it and thinking, wow, that's really cool. Um, but I, outside of that, I really haven't looked at very much to be honest, John. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I was just, it was more curiosity than anything else. Cause um you know, I'm, I'm similar to you in, you know, terms of, of how I want to be and how I invest and things like that. And, and there's definitely been times where I've been in similar places um, as you for redemption, where, you know, I don't feel like I can give it 
my all or, or as much investment as, as I want to with things that I have going on in my life other than that. So like, I totally relate to and understand that I've never taken, you know, a prolonged absence the way that, that you have, but that's not, I'm not passing judgment or anything like that. You know that, I mean, we still chat from time to time. And, um, I just think that it's, it's interesting. I was more just, it was more just curiosity if you kept up with anything. Um, cause you know, you talked about where the game was and, you know, two years ago and, I think the game now is in a, a really good place and, and fairly different from, from where it was um, two years ago, just with all of the, the changes that we made and trying to be proactive uh, with things and, you know, identifying things. And it's at times it's tough because there has been, you know, a ton of change, frankly, um, in a short amount of time. And that can make it difficult to, you know, retain an existing player base. But ultimately we're, we're working on being as inviting as possible to new players and still be deep and rich and interesting to existing players. So, you know, obviously I just had my third kid, you know, two months ago, three months ago now, Um, actually today, yesterday was her, it was two months. So um, she's two months old now, but uh, you know, so I, I totally get the, 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 the kids and the time thing, but I think uh, if you ever did find yourself itching to, to, to scratch that redemption, uh, that redemption itch there, I, I think you'd find it in a really good place. A lot of really uh, good things that we've done, you know, as far as rotation and we changed the determining factor for who goes first and moved it away from most lost souls to a die roll. So it's truly a random selection and not something that you can build towards and, and build around, you know, and we've tried to lessen the impact of the, that going first has, you know, we've, added reserve restrictions that you can go to your reserve on the second turn, not the first, because that, you know, even at the point that you stepped away, people are going to the reserve for three or four cards on the first turn. And that's where a lot of the consistency and the explosiveness that you talked about was coming from, um, you know, we just recently changed. Um, so you can only play one territory class card per turn, which was another thing that even back two years ago was contributing quite a bit to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that even two years ago was contributing quite a bit to how those decks operated. And Josiah, I know you've been around long enough. You were winning titles back before territory class cards were really a big thing. They existed, um, but, you know, there were like 10 of them all told. You played maybe one in your deck, you know, anyway. So it's kind of kind of takes us all the way back to, you know, those days of redemption when things were much more focused on the battle phase and resource generation there and, um, and much more interactive between the two players rather than one player just playing solitaire for a little bit and the other player seeing what they can do after the fact. Um, and I think it's been very uh, well received by the community that w- what we've done there. Um, and there's been, you know, obviously, what, three whole sets of cards since you came out. So, you know, and two of those were, were pretty monster sets. So there's like a thousand more cards since you were last playing. But, you know, I know you and I know how your mind works. And if you wanted wow. to get back into it, you could. It's just a matter of whether or not you think you have the time and you can dedicate to it. And this isn't me, like, hyping you up to be like, Josiah, you need to get back in, bro. But, like, you kind of need to get back in. It's kind of a fun, fun <laughs> place to be. But I totally understand wife, kids, you know, I say at my work all the time, anytime that one of my employees comes to me and says, hey, my daughter needs this or, hey, I got to do this for my son. My response is always family first. I don't even think about work and the needs in that moment. It doesn't matter. Like they could be the most important person in the store that day and 
not having them in the building makes my job 10 times as hard. It doesn't matter. Family first. And I think the same needs to be true with our hobbies and our pursuits yeah. and, and family first, you know, and, you know, God first before that. But I think God calls us to, to love on our families as well. So, you know, family first is, is my motto. No doubt. You know, the one thing that I think that could probably pull me back um, is my son at the moment. He um, <laughs> he's getting he's got like little friends on the bus that want to trade Pokemon cards. And um, I got a couple redemption cards still hanging around. I actually gave my entire collection um, everything that I had left to to a player in my area because I know he's been extremely generous and he's continuing to host tournaments and that's actually Charles Johnson. So like I gave all the cards that I had left back to him so that he could give them out and continue to push the game forward. But I got a couple cards that sit around and so my son because he's getting into Pokemon has seen a couple of those cards and he's been like, "Dad, what's this?" I'm like, "Oh, that's Redemption. Tell me about it, you know." So like maybe my son could get me pulled back into it a little bit, but you can always count um, on the kids. We'll see what happens with that. We have heard that story from more than one player of, well, my son grew up and, and got interested in it. So now <laughs> I'm back in. I mean, how many times have we heard that story, Hendrix? At least five or six. There's at least half a dozen players out there it's, with that it's story. Like, that story is just like the dads that coach their first kid through the, the age groups in youth baseball. And then they're like, well, we had another one. We're starting over. You got to start back through it. So it pulls you back in to start back and, you know, figure it out all over again. Yep. You said your son was nine, correct? Yeah, he'll be nine in a couple weeks. That's how old my, my one son is. Um, we only have the one child. So I don't know about the struggles of multi, multi-children households, but he keeps us on our, our toes. And my wife was just going through his Pokemon cards because she likes to every now and then her OCD will kick in and she'll organize them by like types and things. And she was like, where did he get all of these cards? <laughs> but he's also playing redemption. Um, and he actually um, came in. Uh, I think he placed third at tournament last year. Congratulations. Or something uh, at Chris's tournament in type one. And I didn't, I didn't place in that tournament and he beat me. So <laughs> definitely. I will tell you that you start playing this game with your your son, it, it's going to be well worth the memories. Yeah. So just I'll, can, I'll throw that out there for favor? you. Can you uh, can you send your wife over to my house to help me organize? Because true story, I had to build, had to. I'm I'm playing in the classic Invitational, so I started working on deck building, and I legit looked in every closet. I checked my garage. I checked through all of the random boxes of Covenant Games inventory that I have. And I checked everywhere looking for my box of old scroll cards so that I could build my scroll deck. And literally I came back and the box that I needed was sitting right next to the first box that I started with going through stuff. And I just had missed it <laughs> to the side of it. And then of course, anybody that knows me knows what my collection looks like. The cards are not sorted, guys. There is no rhyme or reason to them. So I had to look through every single card and I still only have 46 cards sitting in front of me sleeved up for this deck that I'm working on. <laughs> That's hilarious because you know how I care about my cards almost too much. So I've got the the big organized boxes. I've got two of them now. And my wife doesn't touch my cards because she knows how picky I am about the condition. Like every single card, common or not, that's rotation legal, I have in a penny sleeve. And then they're separated. And then ultra rares are, you know, um, I keep those in a deck box now inside of like um, Dragon Shield sleeves. And then I have the binder with all the good stuff, you know, like the 
son of God that you sold me for way too much money that I mean, is the resale value of redemption cards that good now? Like, is the resale value that good, John? Like- I wouldn't say it's that good. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's that much, but I know that I'm not going to get the chance to buy those cards again if I don't take care of them. You know sure. what I mean? So I, I want to value the fact that sure. I am able to almost freely spend money on my hobby. But I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for card condition overall. So when I see my son play with him and his friends, they like to play Pokemon, but they don't play it the way that you're supposed to. They they just get out the big the biggest Pokemon they can. They're like, I put this card down, I battle that one, and the way that they handle the cards, I like die inside every time. <laughs> So me and John are on different wavelengths as far as keeping the, the cards organized and stuff. But uh, like one of my first things meeting John was he was deciding whether or not to flip over to type two at nationals in 2021, Texas. He's like, I don't know who's going to have all these cards and, uh, and still be up. And I was like, well, I've got a collection and I can, I've got it all organized. I carry it with me at just about every tournament I go to. I had, any card he would have needed. He just wanted to get me out of type one so he didn't have to play me. That's fair. I might have gotten top cut. So did you make the flip? No. No, I didn't make the flip. We made him we made Hendrix build the deck. Like we we pulled the cards out. Like we had a type two legal deck. We were only missing like two or three cards that I could have gotten. Like we had it ready. And I seriously thought about it and then I said, nah, I'll play type one. And I'm surprised by this, not at all. <laughs> if John had had moved i might have had a better shot at trying to get in the top eight for the top cut promo which was scattered which was an awesome promo because it was the first time it was on the new card size the dimensions instead of that skinny tin can card i really wanted it i ended up having to pay dearly for it when i bought a copy from chris um but and, and see here's what Hendrix doesn't know or maybe he does know because i've told him before but i uh I took fourth that year because I took an intentional draw with Jeremy Chambers in the last round, thinking that neither one of us had a shot at placing at that point, but that it would get us both into the top eight, which it did. But if I'd won outright, I would have taken third. And I didn't realize that because I'm bad at math, apparently. Um, And so in doing so and taking the split, Jeremy got to be the eighth person into the top eight, knocking out Ron Sias by one place. And I felt really bad about that. So Ron Sias actually got a scattered promo from me for free at that tournament. And I didn't know that Hendricks thought he had a chance. So I didn't give him one. So he had to pay for it. Man, I was right behind Ron. Like he finished ninth. I finished 10th or something like that. But I had beat Ron like 5-0, and I was like, why does redemption math not make sense? Why does it not make sense? <laughs> so does that mean you guys went away from Top Cut? Um, we did for a couple of years there because the fields were so small, Josiah. Um, in in Maryland, we didn't do it in Maryland. If you remember, you were there at that one. And then the next year in Texas, we were equally small. So we didn't cut in Texas either. Um, and then last year was hosted by Gabe in Iowa. Um, and, you know, top cut decision is somewhat up to host discretion. It's host discretion with input from the elder team. Um, Gabe is not a fan of top cut. He prefers it to be best of three. Um, that, and there's just not enough time to do it. So we didn't top cut last year in Iowa either. Wow. I wasn't aware that Gabe wasn't a fan of Top Cut, and that's why we didn't do it. I just assumed that people were kind of hedging against maybe another low turnout numbers. No, wise, no, no. And yeah. not, not wanting to have a last-minute change, so we just planned for not doing Top Cut. I hate the scoring of Swiss. 
and, and it's not that Gabe doesn't like Top Cut. It's that he doesn't like um, Best of One Top Cut. Oh, okay. So he just wants it to be be played out deeper. So do Top Cut and do the Best of Three and just make people forfeit the, their event for the next day. And we've talked about that, Josiah. I mean, I think we had those conversations back when you were involved in the elder team and, and conversations around it too. The yeah. trouble with that, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's really easy to say that. And I don't disagree with you necessarily. But what if I make top cut and you don't, and we were supposed to be teammates the next day? Do you all of a sudden have to go find a teammate? And what if it's you and Charles Johnson and you guys are in the same play group? You've been playing all year together. You've won two districts, a state and a regionals. You're having an amazing year. And then you have to make a decision to you abandon your teammate that you've taken the entire tournament season to play in top cut. Or do you abandon your spot in top cut and play teams the next day? And yes, could we set up teams to be on a different day? Sure. Absolutely. We could. Um, but it's, just, it's, it's a harder decision than simply saying, well, we'll just they forfeit their category the next day. I don't disagree with you. We could totally do that. It's just there's been some logistical things behind it that don't feel I mean to great me, you to us. you know that going in. Yeah. Sure. You you know that you gotta talk about it with your partner going in. And I'm not trying to be dumb, but like, you know, it tends to be that you kind of know, okay, there's this handful of teams that are most likely gonna be your top three. And so those teams got to make a decision together going in and say, Hey, what's more important to us. And if it's, if, if it's more important to them to play teams, then they got to make that decision ahead of time. Well, Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You and I both know, just say, Hey, if one of us makes cut and the other one doesn't, we'll both drop. Right. I mean, and, and you and I both know that teams is really easy to win. You just find the best player in the room and you ask them to be your teammate. That's why I asked you to be my teammate in 2020. It's why I kept asking Gabe all those years. It's why I asked Jaden one year. Right. You know, it's pretty hey, easy. Hey, Jeremy, how are you doing yeah. out there? Just want to say, hey, right. buddy. Yeah, you did it too, Hendrix. You found Jeremy and you asked him to be your teammate. You found the best player in the room and you asked him to be your teammate. Absolutely. So it worked. It's worked for like the last six champions. It also helps if uh, if you know the rules of teams. <laughs> It, it helps if you know the rules of teams and you and your partner. No one knows the rules of teams. <laughs> play this, play the second coming and New Jerusalem in your decks and <laughs> and, and and Son of God and Chariot of Fire. Don't forget that. Brian Jones and I did that. Oh my gosh, we we did that and got disqualified. So <laughs> check this out, Josiah. Last year there was a uh, this combo that used like Widow. Uh, Ephesian Widow to recur a new card, Life in the Sun, for Crazy Draw. And everybody was trying to get the heroes to set it up. Jeremy went, like, outside the box and was like, okay, I'm going to use Numerous as a Stars to set this up. And he grabs that, and he he builds this deck called Circus. And a lot of people pick up, and they start playing various versions of Widow combos. And nobody was playing exactly his version until closer to Nationals. But we hadn't really planned what we were doing. And he's like, well, we're just going to play Circus. Well, that's fine. But they had come out and said, you need to keep your prep phase to about 30 seconds, our intro prep, 30 seconds, and then move on to the next player. And Jeremy is trying to coach me how to do this, and I haven't played it. And Marcus has a clock on his iPad, and he's standing <laughs> over me. And he's like, all right, you're going to have to go. Like, I activated Daenerys, and it's at any time. And I was like, can I discard this and draw? And he said, not in your turn, you can't. And he was like, pass the turn. And pass the turn. I said, since it's any time, can I do it now, Marcus? He was like, yeah, you can do it now. I was like, thank you. Uh, but, like, just the pressure of having Marcus wow. with a clock over you in teams with a deck you've never played. And then Jeremy gets over there and, dude, machine. 
See, and like that, that feels bad. It feels bad. It feels like it's against the flow of redemption. Like, so there's one table and the judge is going to stand over one table and enforce a clock on one person. That's, that feels like so much gamesmanship to me. He was just spotting around. And at that moment, he was at our table, just glancing at my turn, taking note of it. <laughs> just to, you know, make sure things are playing out fair and you weren't going through your entire deck and in intro prep, which we absolutely could have done sure with this combo but <laughs> there was another point to where jeremy's like do this do that do that and then you got that in your hand right i was like no i don't have that in my hand i didn't play this all tournament season <laughs> uh but adding that with the complexity of nobody knows the rules about teams yeah um i don't i don't i don't i don't know how we did so well but but we did well enough to win last year so i'm, I'm thankful for that but that's awesome i almost found a way to cost jeremy <laughs> So, actually, this brings me to a question. Like, um, John, I heard you say early on, like, that you're limited to one territory class card per turn now? Uh, Or is that per phase? Technically, um, right now, as of February 25th, you can play as many as you want. But come March 1st, the rule takes effect, and you can play one territory class enhancement per turn, not per phase. Now, in battle, they get played as normal enhancements, and you can play as many as you want. Um, but during um, prep and discard, you only get one total. So if you play it during prep, you can't play one in discard phase. But if you don't play one in your preparation phase, you can play one in discard phase. You can still play as many territory class characters as you want, play a thousand of those, whatever, don't care. You can only okay. play one territory class enhancement. And that's one. It's not one good, one evil. It's not, you know, one prep, one discard. It's one. Is that limit going to happen to the stars too? Uh, we haven't talked about limiting stars. We did talk about limiting stars um, back in 2022, 2021. I don't know. The years all blend together on me. Um, when we made the reserve rule change where you can't access your reserve on the first turn. We talked about doing things with stars at that point. Um, we haven't made any rule changes there yet, and I don't foresee any in the future. Um, but if things continue to... So all you're going to do is switch from territory class stuff to stars and start abusing those. Right. The, the trick with that is just they're, they're so much less reliable, right? Sure. Because you have to draw them naturally. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Unless you play that new dominant that you Yes, unless made. you play that new dominant that we made. <laughs> we we made a dominant Josiah that lets you activate star abilities um, up to six based upon the number of nativity heroes that you have in play. Um, oh, no. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Oh, my but, gosh. But you can second coming to it to get it again. It's not limit once per right. game. It's limit, limit two, two per, per game. game. Well, and if you, uh, if you go back to that combo that I outed the Nationals that I hosted... And, you know, you actually could do it infinitely <laughs> without that rule change, right? Like, Well, I mean, we, we decided that didn't work. Oh, really? I thought we had to make a, ch- a rule change no, to make no, it not no, no. work. That got ruled against us, Josiah, eventually. Initially, we didn't think it was going to be. They did almost make their own infinite way to do it with um, making an Old Testament or Daniel, son of God, in the new starter decks that might be coming out. I don't know what you guys are doing with the reference. I assume it's staying because we 
in band cloud of witness daniel but he was about to have a real purpose in life oh yeah just to be able to shuffle your your son of god from discard every yeah. turn no we've uh we've given the daniel deck some sweet new tools josiah including in the new starter decks israel's deliverance whenever uh those get officially printed here which we're working on that um daniel reference son of god is a real card is a thing wow we are overloading him with all kinds of goodies that like if you've been away for a while i bet these are are like counter to to what the game state was but you mentioned that the uh the game was a lot of solitaire or um or you doing a lot of stuff to where you went first the opponent had very little chance to respond and whatnot that ran its course so well that even though people had other ideas community was talking a lot about different ways to kind of answer that it's almost like an unlimited resource um like just pool of cards in your deck. And if you can get to them, you can play them. There's no limitation on it because there's no cost built into the game. Um, people had their own ideas and one that got referred to as the uh, lockdown strategy or, or whatnot, the one territory class hard limit. It, it went so far that direction of, you know, being able to be an aggressive deck, go turn one and basically lock the opponent out to where the community is almost all on board with, even though it might not be the suggestion that I had or what I would think is the optimal way to answer the issue, everyone's super excited about it that at least I've talked to. like They are looking forward to it toning down things and the environment that it should create, in theory, at least when people start playing tournaments with it. So granted, I haven't seen the additional, the new cards, but the one fear I have and what Redemption has always struggled with is if you cut the speed, defenses dominate. And so, like, I'm, I'll, it'll be interesting to hear what kind of shift happens in that space because with only one territory class card, is it going to slow it down enough that, okay, now we're going to play 40-card defenses with uh, some weird two-card offensive combo that walks by at the end? Because, I mean, that's that's always been the threat of cutting down speed. Well, right, yeah, you're you're absolutely right on that, Josiah, and it's it's a pendulum that that we have to monitor as as card designers. And you were a part of that group for a while, and you know, you know, you were part of those conversations and privy to that discussion, and 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 we know that, and we're we're doing, and you know, we we have we did testing with this rule before it became official, and we haven't noticed that yet. We've noticed it swing back to actually a really good balanced state, maybe slightly defensive heavy, but we're not seeing games time out necessarily, which is really good. Um, That's always the fear there too, is that if you pull too far back on speed that, you know, then games will just time out all the time. I mean, we haven't really seen that a ton. And obviously like we're only human and, you know, we may have overlooked something and maybe somebody's got something brewing that they're keeping up their sleeve that is going to change, you know, things with this. But as of right now, it, it feels pretty good. And I think a lot of the um, past rule changes, like the the rule change to ignore, it's kind of the big one that I think about, um, makes it a lot harder for that yeah. two-card offense to just kind of walk in, you know, and go that whole defensive uh, strategy. I'm not saying that we couldn't see a defensive heavy deck do very, very well, um, but I think that'd be a good thing for Redemption right now with where we've been for a while. Um, and we can always give offense sure. is other tools you know and and ways to you know just differently we just we just didn't want it to feel so 
non-interactive at least in the battle phase if you have to get your yep. resource generation in the battle phase at least it's an interactive state of the game where maybe i can do something about it at some point you know well and like honestly that's what jerome and i really started to push and i think that's one of the areas that we really started to excel and i don't know uh john early maybe you would disagree with this but i feel like jerome and i really put a focus on extending the battle um, and using cards to extend the battle instead abilities, like really starting to abuse those and then really starting to use ways to continue to add gates of hell, sixth bowl. Um, I can't even think of all the other ones right now. Like there's a bunch that you can do. Even faith of David was a card that I was involved with the creation of um, to really just keep extending battles because one Jerome and I enjoyed the battle phase the most. And two, we felt like, people were using so few battle winners and so real, like so few real ways to win rescues or even block that if you could extend the battle and add a character after your characters have been wiped, they never had resources to answer. So like that was a great way to win because people just didn't play enough actual battle winning cards. Um, and I don't know, maybe you would say differently, John, but I feel like that was a big contribution that Jerome and I had to the game of really pushing back into that space of trying to force battle extension. Oh yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. You're absolutely right. And you know, you rattled off the three big ones that I think about when I think about what your decks makeup and, and whatnot looked like towards, towards the end there. You know, I think, you know, circa 2018, 19, 20 range, um, six bowl gates of hell, faith of David. Um, those are all very heavily played in decks that I remember you having. And frankly, in my own decks as well, I never went kind of as far deep into it with six bowls. You did, um, Solomon's temple is another card that I, you know, would associate with that and with things that you and Jerome were doing, um, with its insteads of yep. both your offense and your defense when people try to take uh, those out. Cause you're absolutely right. And you, that's did, how we won teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you did help lead the charge in that direction. And that was also, you know, I was attacking it from a slightly different angle that you were. Um, but both of our contributions to that pushed the game to kind of the point where it was at, where it was really kind of almost ugly ish with, like you said at the very beginning, whoever goes first kind of wins because they're able to go off for these explosive starts and have enough resources to punch through the opponent trying to do that. And then they have all of their options to stop the opponent from doing the same thing back to them. Um, so, you know, you were on the forefront of that with yeah. your battle stuff. And then we saw in 18, you know, you and I attacked it from two slightly different angles Um where I had, you know, the Priest of Zeus and the God of this world and um, the HSR and RBD and all those things where I just jumped out to a lead and then slammed a bunch of counters and said, okay, what are you going to do about it? You know, um, whereas you were just more, hey, I'm just going to have way more resources than you'll ever be able to keep yeah. up with. Um, and then, you know, 19 was kind of an odd year and I kind of played that left field yeah. deck there that just kind of answered meta really well. But then, 20, 21, 22 were all very much a, hey, I'm going to go get a bunch of resources. I'm going to slam a bunch of counters down and I'll just be so far ahead of you that you can never catch up because I went and got all these cards that stop you from doing that. Um, and the 21 deck, uh, Josiah, there was a combo deck out there where basically using a combination of Pig's Lost Hold and a Gates Draw abilities, um, and a new card that we printed in Lineage of Christ called Love at First Sight. It was a reprint of the old Love at First Sight. Very similar ability. But basically, I could go out on my first turn 
and play Creation of the World and have like 12 heroes on the table and then play Love at First Sight. And the interaction between Love at First Sight and the Pig's Law Soul meant that you ended up with no hand. So on my first turn, I get like 20 cards and then you have the three cards that you draw and that's it. You don't get your initial eight. You get three cards with which to beat me. Yeah. So that was the big deck that everybody was playing. But then That's like a better version of the Besiege the City main Right. Combo. I knew you'd appreciate it because of that fact, is that it's very similar to things that you were abusing in Type 2 back in the day. Um, but then Josh Potratz yep. came up with a deck that could answer that, um, had enough consistency and stall pieces that prevented that deck from going off the way that it wanted to, and he won nationals with it. That's awesome. So a dark horse did it again. <laughs> the water is so deep. Like even in asking questions, Josiah, like your knowledge of the game from when you played is so like deep that you're offering pseudo like deck building advice and strategy because you're like oh yeah add to battle is a really strong way to win and once they wipe your heroes out or whatever if you can just add somebody or they wipe your evil characters so i mean like you guys talking strategy like this it's almost like it's an episode of top cut savvy right <laughs> well and that's how top cut savvy came about is yeah. josiah and i used to well talk. truth be told like go ahead josiah you, you talk this is about you no it's all good i just was gonna say like in in all reality, um, redemption has a couple key principles that I think as far as like from the time I started playing and apparently John Hendricks hearing you now talk about like there's a couple key principles that if you just maintain them, um, it's going to give you the ability to compete at a high level, you know, extending the battle, having the right resources using the right setup, consistency, having the appropriate counters. And I know it sounds in one sense, like when you list it off like that, it sounds really easy. Um, it's not actually that easy to develop those things, but like those are the key principles to winning at this game, especially since there's no cost to the cards. So like, because there, you don't, you know, you don't have to have summoning sickness and you don't have to tap so many lands to push this card in, or you, you just play anything and really developing the consistency is is the clutch part of it so like you know all these things like here's the key principles to winning but who can do it the most consistently and have the most consistent answers for stopping their opponent um and my experience with it has been that really you don't have to do both of those things you just have to do one of them way better than anyone else so either be the most consistent deck that's ever existed aka what josh what what john early said josh potratz did or two have more counters than anyone could possibly plan for like John did. And he was talking about in 2018 and all of a sudden you're doing something so well that no one else is ready for you to do it that well. And they just can't hang with it. So to me, like finding your niche, finding your play style and pushing all the way deep into that spot in a way that's consistent is the way to win in this game. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. What I was going to say was about top cut savvy since Hendricks brought it up. That's how that started. Um, was Josiah and I you would call each other on Skype because we're old and Skype was the cool technology back then. Like Discord was Skype. in its fledgling <laughs> infancy. All right. Even Jerome knows about Skype, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Jerome knows about Skype. So like we would hop on Skype and we would just call each other. And we would talk. Maybe. I think for... he's still on Facebook Messenger. Oh, ouch. But like <laughs> we would talk for 
hours about, hey, what are you going to build? And hey, what do you think about this card? And hey, what are you playing here? And like we do tournament prep together and all these things. We were teammates and teams, you know, for a year there. And we would bounce ideas off each other. And we were we were competitors, obviously, like we were both competitors. We we're both competitive individuals. We both wanted to win. Um, you know, Josiah's knocked me out of more championships than I care to think about. But like we would talk and we were friends and we would bounce those ideas. And then one night, Josiah, who, you know, I think this comes up later in your outline that we have completely trashed, put that thing in the shredder. It's gone. <laughs> but in your outline later, you had a question talking about um, uh, the openness and the sharing and how Josiah was really on the forefront of that. And he was on the forefront of that in Top Cut Savvy as well. And one night we just kind of said to each other, like, we should record this stuff and we should put it out to the community at large to get them better, to, to give them more tools and help them improve their gameplay so that we can have more competition to play against and not just beat up on each other all the time. And so that's what we did, you know, and yeah, it didn't go completely where we wanted it to. And we're both very busy individuals um, and st still are and have only become more so uh, since, you know, our ill-fated attempt uh, to get that off the ground that lasted, what, three, four episodes, maybe. Um, but it was a blast doing it at the time. Yeah. And I do think, um, and I think Josiah would agree with me that, you know, we were kind of on the forefront of redemption content. And I hope that our meager contribution has helped redemption grow into where it is today, which I think is at a really good place with all sorts of different content options. Uh, what you've done here, Hendrix is obviously incredible. You know, we're on episode 50, you know, big five Oh tonight with the most amazing 51. You know, 51. Oh, so your outline says 50, bro. So you got me well, all hyped up for nothing. All right. I'm sorry. So that means you didn't really listen last week or no. to last week's episode. <laughs> well, I did, but like, I didn't you pay attention to what episode it was. Yeah, I got whatever. And it says episode 51 on the outline. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Well, so I have it open here. You know, John. Yeah, go ahead, Josiah. I think we'd be remiss when we're talking about like opening up and sharing information and like trying to make that part of the game to not uh, give a little bit of credit to JD. And yes, I know JD is JD and there's all the controversy around him and there's the stuff, the struggles and the battles around just – Anyways, it doesn't matter, but I will say JD put Children of Light in that whole combo. What did he call it? I can't even remember. Like wh whatever he called that combo where he was just like playing a million territory class cards on Children of Light and then pushing it. Um, he put that deck out there a month ahead of the national tournament and told people this is what I'm playing and then he kept refining it. Like that's a that was a pretty big step for redemption too as a whole but for somebody to say like this is what i'm playing and then to do, and then to go play it and to have the success he had with it and i get it there's controversy all over that tournament but um i think that was a cool that was a cool step you know and i, I don't think we can talk about um the opening up of like people's quote unquote little black books of redemption um without at least mentioning that that part of the history yeah i agree you're you're absolutely right Coney Island. That's the name of that thing. He called it Coney Island. <laughs> and then and then he went off to Milan. So, you know, enough said about that. <laughs> off to Milan. <laughs> I love it. Every time you make the joke, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to gotta break out the soundboard and have like the little start of that and, and get that going. Anytime I say it, just 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 hit the soundboard button. <laughs> yeah, 
I guess since since we mentioned Top Cut Savvy, and it is one of the things, and, and the, the outline is shredded completely, but in a good way, I think. And maybe that's, that's part of having Josiah come back to, you know, be on a podcast for a game that he used to play. The most important thing about the game is relationships and the conversations that happen apart from the game. The game is just kind of the medium that brings us all together. So it's kind of a cool and encompassing, you know, example of that because yeah. you're talking about the old days. He's asking questions about that, and it's just there's a lot of conversation happening even though we're not following any type of outline because that's what the game is. It's You can't, can't be extremely structured with it because uh, there's so many personalities involved in the game and whatnot, and it's just – Ride, ride the lightning, baby, you know, <laughs> like just wherever it takes you. Yeah. But I, I think you could go, look, we could handle the top cut savvy portion of this because that is something that I definitely wanted to talk about. And so you mentioned kind of the reason that you did it. And you guys obviously have immense knowledge of the game from both ex, uh, an experience um, aspect and also just being involved, especially you, John, with leadership and creating cards um, and Josiah a little bit with that play testing and whatnot. Um, for you guys to choose to be people that go and, okay, we have all of this advantage that we have on the competition, and instead of keeping that as advantage, but instead wanting to get players better, I mean, that's that's remarkable in and of itself. But then when you start doing that, along with the um, – I, I think the game's gotten a lot simpler over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know how much of that has happened that um, you've experienced, Josiah, since you've been away, but – you know, especially with like LOC cleaning up the wording, taking some abilities and, you know, leaving them in classic, not bringing them onto the new card face or what's going to be in rotation. Did you guys know that the game was working toward a more simplistic, you know, beginner friendly environment or format? Did that lean into part of your decision to, you know, take on making a podcast for strategy? I mean, I think um, I would say that like, my hope was always that the game would get a little more simplistic. Um, some of the cards like from warriors and Kings and priests, like trying to read it and figure out what it actually did and figure out, is this a protect? Is it a restrict? Is it a prevent? You know, like that stuff was crazy and not good for the game as a whole. So I think um, to be honest with you, my experience with that uh, John Hendricks is that when cloud of witnesses came out, the game went from a super, super, super unhealthy state where people were leaving um, at a high rate and because it was so complex and twisted. And then we started to do exactly what you were just talking about. So I think John and I recognized that that was happening as, and I think it was intentional from the leadership. Um, I kind of got involved a little bit more after cloud of witnesses in the playtesting aspect for a little bit like revelation of John. And I forget whatever the one was right after that. I think I was a little bit more involved in, um, but I really feel like Cloud of Witnesses, in one sense, was the best set for redemption in my time, like in the time that I was a part of the game. Um, I think it, it elevated the game. It took it to that space of starting to move towards simplicity, of having consistent wording, of having less confusion over what abilities actually did. <laughs> and so, like, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that the game is moving in a more simple direction. I'm glad to hear that things are not so complicated um, because the learning curve used to be enormous. Like it used to be, okay, I want to teach some new players in my play area how to play the game. And we get through half a game in a starter deck and they're like, this is way too complicated. I'm, I'm done. Like there's fight by numbers, there's protect, there's ignore. How come this works and this doesn't like it just, and the rock, paper, scissors of like 
prevent, interrupt, ignore, like, or I forget exactly what it was, but like uh, negate, prevent, interrupt. How does it, how come it works here? Why doesn't it work here? It was so confusing for people. And so I'm glad to hear that it's moving in a direction that's, that's cleaner and um, more simple. Like that's a really encouraging thing. Yeah. And I'd, I'd piggyback on that and say, you know, at the time the, that we started um, Top Cut Savvy and at the time that, you know, Cloud was released, like Josiah said, it, we were, I would say that was more a period of standardization than simplification necessarily, um, yeah. you know, and rotation had been discussed as like a, a uh, like an infant fledgling concept, but hadn't gotten its full wings under it. And we started planning for that more heavily, you know, during Revelation and Fall of Man, which I think was kind of that last set that you were, you know, heavily involved in there, Josiah. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, that it wasn't necessarily in response to that or with that in mind, but it certainly didn't, didn't hurt matters there. Um, and I agree completely with Josiah as far as like importance of sets and like, um, things like that. And, you know, we talk about sets that were really influential in redemption. And, um, obviously I've been around for a long, long time. And for me, I think the three that I would name as really, you know, flashpoint type things, um, are, are warriors, um, uh, which really back in the day, um, warriors saved where redemption was at and where it was going. It was yeah. kind of that last ditch. We're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at things type set. Um, interesting silver brigade, introducing angels, you know, all that stuff was really huge at the time. Um, cloud of witnesses, I think of as the start of modern, um, redemption, so to speak, you know, we had cards on the new card face before that point we had, you know, the IJ starters, we had 1026, um, we had persecuted church and early church, but cloud of witnesses was really the set that took that all to the next level with its standardized wording with the introduction of the cloud icon, which isn't a simplicity thing, right? That's a, that's a complexity thing. It was something new that we added to the game that now was a part of the game, which is why I say, you know, standardization over simplification at that point was kind of our goal. Yeah. Um, now our goal is almost a hundred percent focus on simplification um, where, you know, we talk about icons and almost every time it gets brought up, we throw it back out because we don't want to add another level of complexity onto things. Um, but yeah, so cloud of witnesses um, from a standardization standpoint and from another kind of all in hail Mary, Hey, you know, player base is declining, sales are declining, what can we do type thing to really, you know, make things feel awesome. Um, and so that was definitely, you know, a set that was very, very well received and had a ton of thought and effort and love put into it. And not that the elder team doesn't do that with every set. Um, but, you know, there's, there's sets that get a little bit more of that where the sense of urgency perhaps, or, or the feelings around are are different um and that was definitely one of those and then i'd say gospel of christ the most recent set which obviously josiah you you weren't around for but i think hendrix you can speak to this a little bit i would say gospel is kind of finishing up that the block the fall of man prophecies lineage gospels the block the first time we'd really done that kind of block feel and concept in redemption and then just some of the things that we did with the expansion of you know flip characters with stars reaching their ultimate you know zenith and now you know that's a, a mechanic that we're sunlighting and not going to go back to for a while and you know it's something that's obviously in the game and in the game for you know and star cards will still be around but we're gonna put our emphasis on other things and things like that um and just from gospels and I'm not saying that Gospels doesn't have its share of complicated cards. So anybody that's sitting out there listening, that's like, what is John talking about? He's crazy. Look at how many words are on Gabriel. Gabriel's an ultra rare, guys. Okay, that's my excuse. But 
there was a lot of intentionality um, in lineage and then especially in gospel with the simplification of cards uh, to the point that at one point in the development and playtesting of gospels, I personally went through every single card in the set and counted the number of abilities and the number of keywords on each card and assigned a value to them. And then we went through that list and we chopped abilities and keywords off of so many cards, guys. Like you have no idea. You look at the cards and say, wow, this has a lot going on. I promise you that it had two more things going on on it before we did that exercise. And the team really took to that and really opened our eyes and showed us a lot of things and helped point us in, in a good direction. Um, that's why like Gabriel Ultra Rare that I referenced um, doesn't, do multiple things you know he negates and then you get to choose one of three things to do um, at one point we talked about hey should he do all of these things and then the answer was no cards shouldn't do six things they should do one or two and maybe every once in a while you get a choice of a third thing but you never get to do three things you get to do two things and a choice and if you have to use seven or eight keywords to describe what your ability is doing it's too complex knock it down to four or five and I think that that's a development and design principle that we are going to take and keep using going forward. And it's a good exercise that at some point we'll do with Israel's rebellion right now. We're not quite there yet. Um, but I think gospels was really the set where we fine tuned and honed our focus on simplification of the game. Cause that is the most important thing. As you look at new players and young players and Josiah, you talked earlier about getting your son into the game potentially and how he's asking about the cards and you know, how is he supposed to get in the game? Like you said, that learning curve was so steep. It was a cliff face. It wasn't a gradual, nice walk up a hill. You know, it wasn't, you know, your neighborhood park and Hey, there's a thousand foot hill over there. It was like the wall of the grand Canyon. And you're at the base looking up and saying, Ooh, I got to get up there. You know, Pokemon so much easier at that point with that age too. But yeah, just to offer some affirmation to that, my son with GOC cards, we haven't played a lot of Redemption because, you know, like I just got done telling the community how busy life has been for me. Um, that's why I, you know, stepped away from the podcast for a little bit. But um, when we do play, he can read all the cards in GOC that he comes across. He can read and know what they're doing. Now, he might have a question about how two cards interact because, you know, I mean, interaction of cards and abilities is a... A bit of can be a bit of a complex thing, even if what they're each doing, because you got to know when this one's doing that, which trigger, which one happens. Um, you have different levels to it. But as far as understanding what reading this card, what it's supposed to do, and the context of that, nine year old son, not an issue. So just to affirm what you guys targeted and to make that simpler, actually, you know, bears the fruit of that. Did I lose you guys? No, we're waiting on you to ask the next I'm question. You're, you're, you're back in the driver's seat. We have un, <laughs> we have unshredded the outline. You are back in the driver's seat, sir. Okay. All right. Well, my bad. I missed my cue. I guess just for comparison's sake, Josiah, how much do you remember about redemption content um, in your time of playing? I think you, you got started around 2012 if going back to the first episode of Top Cut Savvy is accurate. I believe it was 2012. And you, you played up until around 2020. How much redemption content do you recall being made in that time frame? Yeah. Um, I think the first time I recall there being redemption content that was consistent at all was probably the beginning of Land of Redemption. 
Um, and that was right around cloud, I believe. Um, I believe Gabe, Gabe started that up. Um, so I don't know exactly what year that was, but prior to that, it was just conversation on the forum. And quite frankly, there was a number of players who were rather toxic on the forum at that point. And so a lot of it was weeding through some toxicity and then trying to find what were good combos from other people's decks that they posted that they're like, Hey, I, you know, I took second at a district with this and you're like, okay, well, what looks good in it and try to pick that apart. But there wasn't really anyone generating content that I can recall until Gabe started with land of redemption. Yeah. That, that sounds about right from looking at the history of what is I, it. Does that answer your question? It, it does. Because when I first got into the game, I scoured uh, at that time, we didn't have the discord, we just had the the board, the forums, and I met Jay and Jeremy Chambers for a, hey, I bought some redemption cards. You're in my area. Let's play. We met up at uh, a church in their town, and we played. And it was the first time I met them, and it was a week after Nationals 2019, and I, I just missed it. I was so upset. Um, but at that time, I was trying to find any type of content to teach me how to play this game. And there was some some YouTube videos of tournaments. Uh, 2016 Nationals Top Cut was streamed or recorded at the time. It might have been streamed. I don't know. Um, so I saw that, and I went back, and I found a few things that were you know, posted. A lot of it was back to uh, Land of Redemption. But there wasn't a lot of content, and definitely not a lot of content content of people sharing things before they go out and play the deck it was like nationals here's the deck that i played at nationals now that i'm done playing it and you could find that on the forums but you couldn't hear or you couldn't find a lot of people talking about in-depth strategy before they play a deck um and i guess that's where you mentioned jd being you know on the forefront of that and that's a really cool concept and now um i guess when you guys did top cut savvy and people people can look at it and i know I'm the first one that'll make a joke at John about having, you know, two failed podcasts on his resume. <laughs> but I don't look at them as failures. I look at them as very successful, short-lived partnerships where we produce yes. exceptional content in a very small amount. We we, yes. we we give you the teaser. We don't give you the whole thing. You got to pay for that. Right. You know, truthfully, I think what limited Top Cut Savvy was the fact that um, – John had to do all the editing because I didn't have a clue how or know what to do. And so we'd have like a four or five hour conversation, a six hour conversation, and it's all recorded. And John's supposed to turn it into an hour of content. Like who has 20 hours every week to listen to six hours of content three times and then cut it down to an hour. I mean, at that point he didn't. And I say who, like maybe, maybe Hendrix, you know, you're going to have to do that this week. (laughs) get four hours of content and try to figure out how to chop it down to an hour. Sorry, man. <laughs> uh, I just leave most of the stuff in there. That's why they're so long. Okay. <laughs> um, but what I was asking and, and, and working towards is the fact that you guys went and decided to do a podcast or, or even just the, the process of starting it and you start it. And now after that, there's just this, it's almost like the golden age of redemption content. And obviously the world has gotten more plugged in with content for various gaming communities and stuff. So we're on that curve anyway, but you guys starting top cut savvy was my first exposure to an idea of redemption, having a podcast. Um, and then the fact that you were sharing information to, you know, try to make players better and you were giving information that was not available at the time. 
or at least not in great detail. I think it, it it's it's great and it was worthwhile. And it's really honestly, if we're talking in the context of me recording podcasts now, a hundred percent almost. I would I would say probably ninety to ninety five percent was okay. These guys these guys did it. They don't have time to do it. And I kept thinking, well, I don't know how to record. I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to do any of that. But I used to run sound at church, so I've got a little bit of, you know, technical knowledge. And then I have time. I could I could probably do that. And knowing that Redemption could use a podcast as like a central focus of tying the community together. It's almost like when you go to summer camp and you go and you do all the day's activities and there's this like team competition. You get assigned to a team. Then you come back and right before chapel service, there's this section where they talk about the day and it's almost like tying it in or at the end of a sports day, you know, their sports center, giving you all the highlights and tying everything back in. And I was like, a podcast could serve to do that for a widespread community for this game because the community is not as dense in every area. So someone like Renee that's in Germany that, oh, he can listen to a podcast if he wants, even though he doesn't have players there. I was like, Redemption needs that. But the idea all sparked from listening to you guys on Top Cut Savvy to the point to where, like, I've never recorded anything. I have never even, to this day, I have the default recording on my phone, like, for voicemail. I've never recorded that because I've hate, I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> And now we're like 51 episodes in and we're recording this. And I, I know that the content that I'm making, you guys were a central inspiration for that. And if it wasn't for you guys trying Top Cut Savvy, we wouldn't have the threshing floor. So I know that that's 100%, you know, coming from your inspiration with Top Cut Savvy. But then you've got Robium Studios making videos now. Redemption with Jaden, Tyler Talks. Uh, where Tyler Stevens does YouTube videos where he shows off decks. He builds decks and shows them. People want a deck? Tell him about it, and he'll build the deck and show you how to play it. <laughs> and it's just crazy amounts of content. And you've got games being live-streamed and people sharing information. There's a there's an entire Discord server where you can go and you can just pluck a deck out that you know former national champions are talking about decks before we even get into the tournament season of states and regionals. And I think all of that ties into, it almost feels like this was like the launch point of all of that. So I guess as a community, I would say that that we are indebted to you guys for trying. I guess I just would say to you, Hendrix, thank you. Yeah, I just would say thank you. Like, thanks for the props. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to fill your cup here. So. No, thanks for the props. For real. Like, it's very kind of you. And, you know, I appreciate it. And... I would say this though, like if what John and I did inspired you a little bit and here you are on episode 51 and like you're talking about all the other outlets now for, for content that's coming out, um, like that's amazing and that's awesome. And I'm really excited to hear that people are really sharing ideas, deck ideas, strategy ideas, concepts um, in a way that helps everyone get better at the game. I think for the whole community, that makes a healthier game state. Um, you have people who are playing well and playing at a high level all over the country. Then they gather together for a big tournament. Um, now, like, it, it's just a much healthier space than, you know, there was a stretch of time where it was like, if you lived in Minnesota, you could compete for a national title. 
And if you didn't, you were in trouble because you didn't get any of the information or content that was coming out of that area. Um, if you weren't at those tournaments and then trying to glean it from the decks that you saw being played, not necessarily that people were sharing it. You just, you had to be able to glean it. And, you know, you walked into the tournament and you thought, oh, wow, this dude's from Minnesota. I've never heard his name, but he's probably going to beat me 5-0. You know, like there's a lot, I think there's a lot of people that felt like that. And I think Iowa could be included in that, but, but Minnesota was kind of that hub. So I'm really excited to hear that like people are sharing and it's not so much necessarily regionally dominated anymore. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I would chime in and just share and say is, you know, as we talk about, you know, redemption content and the origins of, of Top Cut Savvy and things like that, you know, we also need to give a shout out to uh, to Redemption Metagaming with Alex Oliar and Andrew Wester. You know, th- they were even before Josiah and I, and they didn't do a ton of podcasts necessarily, but they did some, you know, video blogs and, and recordings and things like that. And, and they, I, you know, podcasting before podcasting was cool and a thing they had a couple episodes and i distinctly remember being on one you know after a set came out and discussing you know some of the design things that went into it there but it's just it's crazy i'm you know i really enjoy catching up with josiah and talking about all this history of the game and hopefully the history isn't you know boring to everybody out there but like go look up redemptionmetagaming.blogspot.com it's there's some decent stuff on there from back in the day and you gotta think about you know uh, the time and the time of the game at that point. And I just want to share like this article that I clicked on that it's just an awesome read. Um, but it's, it came out in June of 2013 and it's called seven, a treatise on dominant selection. And the first paragraph is a line that says there are 15 playable dominance redemption. <laughs> hey guys, how many playable dominance are there in redemption now? Guess what? It's a whole lot more than 15, but even back then having 15 playable and you had to pick seven of them and the difficulty in doing so of that. And now we have 30 playable dominance, you know, and you have to pick seven of that. And so all the concepts that they talk about in this article, which I haven't read the whole thing, but I'm guessing all the concepts they talk about in this article still hold true today in how you have to evaluate and think about things. Except for the part where they say that doubt is the weakest dominant. So you know what's funny about that early is that I had totally forgotten about that that podcast, um, but or that I don't know whatever you call it, like that content that was being created until you mention it. But I feel like I remember that particular article, and they talk about destruction of Nehushtan a little bit in there, if I remember correctly. And uh, Jerome and I literally talked about at that point in the game, you could build a deck that had no artifacts intentionally. And yes, it was some cost because you lost some power, but you also knew that you were going <laughs> to limit your opponent to only having six dominance and you were going to get seven because they were going to play Destruction of Nehushtan and, and uh, <laughs> you're just penalizing them for having it by not playing any artifacts. And just interesting. It's just interesting part of the you're game. You're absolutely right, Josiah. So you got to remember, we're talking about Patriarch's Destruction of Hushin here. We're not talking about Destruction of Hushin from Prophecies of Christ that is like a super versatile and can do a, a few different things. We're talking about Patriarch's Destruction of Hushin. And this is what they said about it in 2013. Artifacts are arguably the best card type in the game in terms of power, and Destruction of Nehushtan directly counters them in a meta filled with Magic Charms, Darius Decree, Holy Grail, or even just a pesky Gifts of the Magi, that can be priceless. There's a few other effective artifact counters, but none of them are as effective as Destruction of Nehushtan. Rating, 7 out of 10. Nice. Yep. Magic Charms, 
got to mention there, and it's being reprinted as the regional promo this year. Everything coming full circle for you tonight. <laughs> That's funny. Do you guys remember, like, so when you did Top Cut Savvy, you had a couple of uh, intro episodes where you broke it up in part one, part two. Then you talked about bluffing and then growing the game. You know what your very next one was? And it was the next to last one. Dominant selection. Yes, dominant, staple dominance. <laughs> where do you think you drew the inspiration from that? And you just immediately go to that article. Like, it's just, you've done this before, haven't you? <laughs> I, I've, I've done this once or twice. And because it's so important and because it's such a critical part. And, you know, on Thoughts from Portland, my other you know, endeavor with Jay, where we made it four episodes deep. Guess what? We did an episode on dominant selection too, because it is a critical point. And ours was in the concept of winning in the deck building phase, but it is a significant piece of that because you get seven of them and they are the most powerful cards in the game. In theory, you can play them at any time in theory. And it's super uber important. That's why everyone who produces content on a strategic level looking at the game comes back to it and talks about it because it is important, has been important, and will always be important. Yeah. Well, to spin off that, I think there was a, I think I wrote an article for Land of Redemption that was built around lost soul selection uh, because everyone has to play seven slash eight of those. And uh, like that's, the next most important selections that you're probably going to make. And obviously those have to be tailored more to your deck and what you're trying to do, but picking the wrong lost soul can take a deck from being a national championship deck to being a non top cut deck, like literally one long wrong lost soul because those abilities just sit there and stay active for so long, or they trigger and set you up for the game. Um, You know, that I'd say lost souls, especially towards the end of my playing time almost became more important than your dominant selection. Like your dominant selection is always important. Don't get me wrong. It's like a 9.9, but your lost soul selection, in my opinion, became a 10 towards the end of my time being there. Like you had to have the right lost souls for the deck you were playing. And if you didn't, it punished you. Yeah. And I don't disagree, Josiah. Um, you're absolutely right. I, I think it's one A and one B um, towards the time that you were, were stopping playing. Um, I, I agree that yeah. souls were equally, if not more important. I think the pendulum has shifted slightly back towards dominance there only because um, we've printed a lot of niche dominance in the past two, three years. Um, you know, I think Gospels of Christ had like seven or eight dominance in it um, that were all, none of them are true staples, but they're all very niche wow. things that they're they're doing. You know, we printed an upgraded harvest time. We printed uh, Star of Bethlehem, which enables some speed and combos and helps, you know, a particular theme. We reprinted a new beginning, um, which may have still been while you were around, um, but it was, you know, it was around that time when we were starting to transition out that yeah. helps, you know, the flood theme specifically. Um, so we've printed a lot of niche dominance and you only, and you can still only play seven, sometimes eight, if you go to a 57 card deck. And obviously we're not talking about type two at all tonight, which is something that you're familiar with. And you were, you know, equally good, if not better in type two than you were in type one. And you were pretty darn good in type one too, buddy. Um, but you know, it's, 
it's super important. And Lost Souls, we've just printed a ton of ways to mitigate and stop your opponent's Lost Soul selection from mattering. Um, we have a whole set of cards, Josiah, that the community just refers to as the negate neutrals, because that's literally what they do. They're torture class heroes that negate your opponent's neutral cards. And there's like six of them. So like half of the themes out there can play them, and most decks have one. And so Soul Selection has stopped being as important um it's still pretty important but i think it's the 1b to the 1a of dominant selection right now um and there's also um unity which is you know i think i mean that makes sense too with the switch and deciding who goes first yeah absolutely um the fact that souls don't matter for that anymore um and then unity as a concept you know there's the nt soul package and the ot soul package and most players agree on six of the seven souls in those and then it's just a matter of which is the seventh soul that you want to play if you're playing one of those or you play a blended package that's where you get a little bit more choice there you know sure like just hearing you talk about it it makes me think like and and i don't know for sure but like I feel like just hearing that little bit, I would be leaning towards playing a blended thing because I always, always, always value versatility over power. And I know that sounds crazy, but like if a card does three things, I think it's better than a card that does one thing better than any other card. It's funny because when I talked about play styles, I talked about leaning hard into your style and doing it better than anyone else can do it. And that's a good way to win. Um, but when it comes to actually dealing with cards, like I would take a forest fire over a bravery, bravery of David any day of the week. You said you take authority over bravery. I would take forest fire. Like I know oh, I'm forest about old fire. Cards okay. Now, but like I heard, for me, I heard authority. General, like, I would, you take authority over bravery. Yeah. I think most players would. No, but like I'm because bravery had a limiting factor in it. Like you got to have David out there, right. For it to be CBN, if I remember correctly. And then it's got, or it has to be played on a solo red hero or something like, so you have all these limiting factors where forest fire, it's like, okay, I can hit the character. I can hit an enhancement to stay in the battle, or I have initiative and I have a battle winner that's going to follow. So I'm going to go ahead and play this to blow up that site or that fort. That's really giving me an issue. And then also the flexibility of you can play it on your defense. If you're, playing Babylonians or you can play it on offense like all of that flexibility in forest fire to me elevates it above a card like bravery so even though bravery is like negate that card and kill the character and it's CBN if you get it with these right circumstances like that's all great or you have a CBP it can do seven different things and be played two different ways um I like so for me when when you're talking about the souls I think I probably would lean towards blending those packages to get the best of both worlds, especially if stuff's getting negated anyways um, by like all those neutral negators you're talking about. So then what's the point in like sacrificing to have unity if they're by the time you get to a card that requires all that unity to be there anyways, it's negated. So play the stuff that hits right now and gives you value in the moment and also gives you options and gives you more flexibility to be more creative with what you're doing to me that, that sounds like the way I would lean. But again, I haven't seen the cards. I love that Josiah has been away from the game for two years, and he is still dropping just straight fire on strategy around redemption, how you should play, because he's absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Josiah. Like, everything you're saying, I hope that players at home are taking the strategy portion of this and listening to you, because, I mean, if anybody can talk about it, so what if you've been away for two years? You still know, like you said earlier, the core concepts of how the game is played and approached, and those really haven't changed. Yes, you know, the, the means to the 
ends perhaps have changed a little bit, but it's always been about accumulating resources, denying your opponent's resources, and controlling the flow of the game and winning by attrition. You know, it's always been about those things. The question is just when do you get to that attrition point and how good do you do at accumulating your resources and how good are you at denying your opponent? Yeah. My notepad is definitely filling up. It's also ironic that you bring up Forest Fire versus Bravery because those are both scroll only cards. And I'm sitting here trying to build a deck for this classic invitational. And I've looked at both of those cards. I've also looked at Samuel's Edict. So I guess let me ask you this. Help me out here. Oh, we're off the rails now for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Would you pick Forest Fire over Samuel's Edict, which is, you know, Bravery, but maybe a little bit better than Bravery because it's less limited in how it has to be used? So deriving what I know about you, I Ah! think that most likely edict is going to be better in your deck. That's, that's just my guess. And I haven't seen your deck. I don't know. Um, but I think edict's better in what you're going to play. Um, forest fire is probably going to hit a little less. He has your scouting report. I just feel like forest fire. I feel like you're probably not going to play enough Babylonians and you might not even have Ezekiel in the deck. So it's not going to be as consistent as edict is going to be for you. And I do think Edict is better than Bravery, just straight up. I think that's um, awesome that you know me so well. Um, I, agree. I mean, that's just I, my... Leaning... I haven't seen your deck. I don't know what you're trying to play, but... I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you later, buddy. He hasn't even seen his deck yet. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm still four cards short. <laughs> um, so you want to know a secret? Um, I may have, because I downloaded Lackey, looked at what I might play <laughs> if I was going to go. And uh, and Brian Jones may have reached out to me and asked me what I was thinking. And we may have had played a game of what he was thinking versus what I was thinking. And I may have made a couple mistakes and still beat him. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, man. Wink, wink. I love you, Brian. So... This, this is what I get finding this information out after I talked Brian up on the last episode, how he was the, what I thought might be a dark horse. <laughs> At least he's getting the mistakes out of the way now. No, I'm the one that made mistakes and still won. That's the problem. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know what we say about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just think you're, you're spot on, Josiah, and you really encapsulate you know me as a player and you as a player. For you, Forest Fire is a better card. For me, Edith is a better card. Um, I think they're two completely different decks. I don't think I would yeah. like. I'm not evaluating them in a in a in a uh, vacuum of hey, I'm at 49 cards and I have to pick the 50th card. Is it Forest Fire or is it Samuel's Edict? I'm evaluating from a standpoint of should I build a deck that plays Forest Fire or should I build a deck that plays Samuel's Edict? Because to me, they're two different decks. Like, sure, you could play gold green slash gold green teal like some combination of that and scrolls and have both in a deck but really like if you're playing forest fire you're spot on it's really hard without samuel you're playing right and it is really hard without samuel that's a fair point um judges definitely take a hit and i think that's a good thing because quite honestly i think if samuel was allowed in scrolls only at this tournament for the classic invitational I think the field would be eight out of eight decks would be playing a judge's offense. because I think it would be just that much above everyone else in terms of resource accumulation. Cause like, and I don't know, and maybe you can share because I'm sure that the other seven players in the classic invitational um, scrolls only tournament are going to, you know, be listening to this at some point. Maybe you can share that game between you and Brian scrolls only is a lot slower than what we're used to in redemption. I've done a couple of test games myself and like, I'm sitting here like, man, I only drew three cards this turn. Yep. What's up with that? And, 
and I only got to draw two yep. here. Come on, man. Yep. Like, what are we talking about? So like, it's so much slower as a format. So, so can judges, I put a plug in in that space? Yes. Plug away. Okay. So Tim Malley and I played in the finals or maybe it was the semifinals of the year I won type one at, in New York. And I think that his deck probably beats mine in that tournament six or seven times out of 10. And I just happened to be in the right spot because I had a Joseph before Pharaoh to underdeck his unholy writ at the most random time. And he was so hacked off that I was able to use them the gate on, on unholy writ. Um, Cause it, it just was such a clutch moment and it turned the entire tide of that game. But nonetheless, I think people should look at that deck that he played and consider the way that he played. He had like no draw abilities and very few search abilities. And it was like, I'm going to draw three on purpose and play slow. I'm going to have more defense than anyone else. And I'm going to say, screw the speed. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to crush you slowly, but surely. And kind of rely a little bit on hiding souls and sights, a little bit of bear, like play burial. Like that deck was really, really good. And quite frankly, I think, Again, I would say if if Tim doesn't run into that deck and have Joseph before Pharaoh under deck unholy writ, he wins that tournament. He's the national champion. And quite frankly, if we play that game 10 times, he probably gets seven of them. So it was the semifinals that you played, Tim Josiah, because you beat me in the finals that year. It yep. was the like second or third year in a row that oh, I had taken okay. second Sorry, man. and I lost to you. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. I said earlier, you, you've denied me more titles than I care to remember, and that was one of them. I thought when you first started saying that, yeah. you had finally, like, because at the beginning you said you were pulling up Covenant Games. I thought you were looking at the, uh, you know, the pre- previous tournaments or whatever. <laughs> Did you happen to find out how many Josiah's won, yeah. though? Um, I, I've got Josiah's wins here. I don't know if Josiah looked them up for himself, but I, I have them here. So if, if anybody wants Josiah's <laughs> um, illustrious uh, career achievements here, it's uh, in 2012, um, as a rookie, his first national tournament ever and his first year of playing Redemption, uh, Josiah won. That was my second two. tournament ever. <laughs> Just, <laughs> just rub it in for Rookie of the year. Um, in 2013, he followed up the very next year by winning the other major category, Type 1-2 player. Um, that was the year in New York where you defeated me in the finals. Um, in 2014, you won teams with Jerome. In 2017, you went back to your Type 2 roots and won Type 2-2 player. In 2019, you won Type 2-2 player. And then in 2020, you won teams because I found the best player in the room and asked him to be my teammate. So you got six by my count. And there's a number of second and thirds oh, in there, yeah. too, for type one, yeah, to be I didn't, honest. I didn't open up the spreadsheets and look that yeah. deep. But, oh, absolutely. You've got a ton of seconds and thirds out there. Um, and, frankly, you've got a ton of regional titles, too, that I know about. But if you look just at nationals, I mean, six titles in, in frankly, eight years of playing, right? You played from yeah. 2012 to 2020. So in eight years at eight national tournaments – and that's assuming that you made it to 15 and 16, which are the only two years you didn't win. Or 15, 16, and 18, which are the years that you didn't win something on here. Assuming you made it to those, six wins in eight years is a pretty yeah. darn good record. Like, there's not a whole lot of people that can match that. No, I, I definitely had some luck, no doubt about it. John didn't mention anything about sealed or booster there. Is that is that something you you never really played into those or oh i hate i hate those categories i hate <laughs> them <laughs> i could care less about playing those categories okay 
That's that's fair enough. Um, I like I like construct constructed categories by all means. Um, I want to be able to have way more control. I'm not into big RNG, quite frankly. That's why I never really liked Hearthstone. Um, there's just so much RNG in those games, and like it's too frustrating to feel like I've put in time and effort and energy to put myself in a situation where someone opened up a pack that had three cards that were better than the cards that I opened up in my pack. And so they might not have a clue what they're doing and still destroy me. It just, I just found that frustrating. Um, and so, yeah, I, I try to stick to construction. Josiah, as much you just as described possible. why I don't like multiplayer. I don't like not having the control. I don't like there being friends. Don't let friends play oh, I'm with you hundred percent on that. I too. know the rule. Exactly. You know the rule because I don't like two other players being able to dictate the course of my fate when I've put in so many hours and time, sweat, blood, and tears and and thinking about things and philosophizing about things and building what I think is the best deck available only to have somebody slap a random Christian martyr because, oh, John's at my table and John's so good when the other player has, you know, four lost souls. But, hey, let's play the dominant on John who has one, you know? Like, that's a real thing that happens. Yep, I'm with you. All right, so kind of getting back to the outline here and talking about your history with the game. Obviously, if you played for eight years and had all the level of success, there's a there's a ton of memories wrapped into that. So what did you find through that time that you really liked about the game? What drew you in to actually, you know, enjoying the game to the point to where you, you stuck around for eight years at that high level of competition? So I think for me to, to describe what I enjoy about it um, has to boil down to the relationships first and foremost. And that for me started with my relationship with my brother, Jerome. Um, people don't realize how good of a player Jerome was because he didn't get to attend as many tournaments and nationals as I did. But the truth is he and I sat at home and he would beat me six or seven times out of 10, no matter what decks we played. Um, we'd build decks, we'd play each other and he just tended to beat me. But, um, for me, actually what made me fall in love with the game, <laughs> believe it or not, is besiege the city mayhem because Jerome and I played over and over and over, probably literally hundreds of games before I ever beat him because I refused to let him teach me anything, um, or to help me deck build. So he was like showing me the basics of the game. And then I was determined to beat him without his help. So literally hundreds of games I sat there and lost to him over and over and over and over. But I just was like a dog on a bone and couldn't let it go. And then Besiege the City Mayhem just happened across my mind. Like, I don't know why I was reading old cards and I was like, I'm going to try this. So I built a Disciples Egyptians deck so that I could play that card and so that I'd have some Disciple speed. Um, and then I played Besiege the City Mayhem on him and was like, dude, you got to shuffle your whole hand and you don't get to draw. And he was like, no way. There's no way that's the rule. And like we were talking about it and I was like, dude, this has to be how this works. And finally he was like, I think you're right. And he shuffled his whole hand and I beat him. And I remember literally dancing around the kitchen <laughs> where we were playing, <laughs> like rubbing it in. I'm like, you beat me a hundred times and I just kicked your butt. Like I wiped out your whole hand. And like, I just lost my mind about it. It just was a fun moment. And I think from that moment on, I just like loved the game. I just loved the competition of it. And, and I love the relationship. I love those hours that I got with my brother, especially now when I think back on those hours because he's gone and I rarely get to see him. And when we do interact um, over the phone, it's, it, you know, it's, it's usually pretty serious or, you know, praying about this or 
So I, like that relationship was a huge part of what made me love the game was getting to spend time with my brother, getting to interact with him in that space. Um, and then building relationships with people uh, throughout redemption, like my relationship with John early, my relationship with Brian Jones. Um, there's a number of other players that, that I've really grown to love and care for and admire. Um, you know, John probably wouldn't even want me saying this. And so if he wants it cut out of the podcast, it's fine with me, but like, he stepped in in my life in a way and blessed my family in a way that I can't even fully express like how grateful I am and like what that meant for us at the moment that he did that. Um, it, it really pulled us out of a, out of a tight, dark spot um, emotionally. And, and like that stuff, that stuff isn't pretend it's not behind the scenes. It's, or I mean, it is behind the scenes, but it's not like, it's not small. And those things really matter and it mattered for my family. And I've really grew to love a lot of people in this game. Like I've had Brian Jones to my house. Um, he came and visited my in-laws for Christmas one year, spent some time with us. Um, I have some really incredible relationships with local players. Charles Johnson um, has been an amazing part of the redemption community in my area. I really appreciate him. There's a guy named Robin Dermo who, uh, who's gone to several national tournaments with me and he's brought his, his brothers with him, Ray and uh, George. And I got some incredible memories of that. Like literally we're driving, I think we were on our way to Iowa <laughs> and Ray was asking if we could stop in Texas on the way, like dead serious, not realizing <laughs> how screwed up that would be in the map, you know? And then uh, one time Ray, we went into like a McDonald's, we stopped on a road trip on the way home and we went into a McDonald's and Ray is filling up his iced tea and he's talking to me about like what cards he should play in his deck. And he gets lost and forgets that he's filling up his iced tea. And that thing just started to overflow and overflow and overflow. And finally I'm watching it, like just dying. And I'm like, Ray, are you going to turn around and get your iced tea, bro? And it's like pouring iced tea all over the floor. And he's like, Oh my gosh. Like he's flipping out, you know, cause he got so lost in talking about what belongs to this deck. So like, I mean, that kind of stuff, you just, you don't get that in magic, the gathering. You don't get that in Pokemon. You don't like, it's so much about winning and not so much about the relationships. And so the time, the relationships, the, the good memories, um, the blessings of building those relationships and interacting with people who learn to love you and you learn to love them is uh, it's, it's really a beautiful part of redemption. And, you know, I know early, early on in this conversation, we were talking about, or it got brought up a little bit, like, what is the role of redemption in doing ministry? Can you use it as a tool to witness to people? And quite frankly, if I was going to be honest, I would say it's not actually that great of a tool as just the tool itself um, to teach people about scripture or to teach people about, you know, the love of God. But what it does do is it creates an opportunity for believers to interact with non-believers over something that's fun, that's enjoyable, that's based on the word of God, that's based on the truth of scripture. And it gives you an opportunity to build real relationships that are meaningful and gives you an opportunity to speak into someone's life and, and get to hear their pain, get to hear their journey, get to hear their story and to care about them um, over a game that you can share camaraderie over. And so to me, that's where redemption becomes a tool for ministry is in building those relationships. And so really relationships is what held me above anything else. Um, I think if I was going to be talk about like really what drew me in redemption to outside of those relationships is quite frankly, the complexity and the challenge of the game. I do like that it, that there's 
levels that you have to think deeply and you have to dig into how does this card interact with that card and what happens if somebody interjects this card into that interaction and can I counter that? And so it's, it's almost like boxing with cards, right? Like you throw your three jabs and then you throw your knockout punch, but somebody rope a dopes you, you know, and they step, they sidestep you. And all of a sudden you find yourself stuck in the corner. How do I get out of this corner? You know, like th- that's really a fun aspect of that game of, of the game of redemption. So those are probably the main reasons, like the relationships and being by far and away number one and the the complexity of it, the enjoyment of punch, punch, you know, jab, punch, sidestep, block, back and forth complexity um, really makes it enjoyable. I can't believe that you went to boxing before wrestling. I have been waiting for you <laughs> to drop a put him in the splatal reference all night long and you go to boxing? <laughs> Look, I'm just glad he went to a sport because you know when, John, when you're on the podcast, we have people talk about how many sports references we make. Josiah's on here talking about boxing. And I'm just thinking, what what punch, what haymaker punch was besieging the city combo with mayhem? Like, which punch would that be? That's a TKO, man. Like, you land that and it's, it's lights out. Like I said, it literally won me my first game against Jerome. That's ever. like super punch out then, just in the game. Yes, it's like done. It's like there's no counting. You don't need to. That dude's eyes rolled back in the back of his head. It's done. And uh, that's what won me the type two tournament like that year. Jerome talked me into moving to type two so we wouldn't end up playing each other at any point. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, okay, you're right. And so then I played a version of his offense with that Egyptian defense. I played four copies of Besiege the City in that deck. And uh, and just nuked people. So it um it it really was it really was the difference. Yeah, as far as just straight card combos and an enjoyable experience, that's the TKO. And like it's funny, John was talking about wrestling. Like that's my put them in a splatle. And for those of you that don't know what a splatle is, it's basically you force your opponent to put their knees between their head or put their head between their knees and get their nose as close to their rear end as physically human possible. And then you stretch them out and make them do the splits simultaneously. So they're kind of kissing their own rear and doing the splits at the same time. And there's not a lot that person can do once they get caught in that. You're just getting hurt until you decide that you've had enough and you lay down and get pinned. Like that's the uh, put them in the splatal reference. I've already had enough just hearing the description. (laughs) I'm I'm tapping out. If you, uh, if you want something funny to look up online, look up a picture of somebody stuck in a splatal and you'll get a good laugh. <laughs> Let me ask you, I had my first experience going to nationals two years ago at um, Canyon Lake, Texas. And part of the, the cool factor for that was the fact that me and Jeremy drove from Alabama. So we had the road trip aspect and then all of the, the first memories that I had. It was almost so much that like I didn't take it all in until like, I'm recollecting afterwards. But there was just so many cool little memories from that. And then getting to do it all over again in Iowa at Gabe's Church, you get to go through and you you make memories. And it's just, just from two years, I know how many cool memories I have, whether that's, you know, going to dinner with Rob and and sitting across from him and hearing him talk about the business aspect behind the game and, you know, all of his other adventures, Um, you know, going to Gabe's house for uh, that cookout, just cool things that happened this nationals last nationals i've only been to two you went to eight of them but what is your best memory of nationals whether it's traveling to the tournament from the tournament car rides um or an event or a play that happened in a game 
some type of uh, person that you met? Like, what's if I asked you for your top shelf Redemption Nationals moment? What is that? Wow. Yeah, that's a big question. I think um, I think I kind of mentioned one of them already. Like, I know Tim was upset about Joseph before Pharaoh negating <laughs> unholy writ and stopping that capture. Um, but to me, like that was a really like I feel bad that Tim was upset about that moment, but like I I felt really like I had emerged in the game in that moment. Like I realized I can negate this neutral card and underdeck it. And yes, I'm not going to generate a soul or whatever, but like, I think that was a huge moment for me. And it kind of solidified, solidified my play style too. in that I tend to be aggressive and say, you know what, prove to me that you have a card that can beat me. Like, I'm not just going to assume, okay, he's got something that can stop this. So I'm not going to push here. Um, I tend to play super aggressive in that space. And that kind of solidified that play style. Um, I think after that tournament, um, there was a unique situation. Gabe actually said to me, he's like, he said something along the lines of like, dude, you, you piloted that deck really well. And it kind of revealed to me something about the way that I play the game too, because in truth be told, Gabe put 48 of the four of the 50 cards into that deck. I think I switched two things, um, in that deck and, so he wasn't going to play and he had posted a list of it, I think somewhere. And I asked him what, if he cared if I played it. And so then I did and basically played it perfectly. And Gabe knew how difficult that deck was to pilot. Like it's not a simple deck. Like you can't just walk out there and play it. And, um, and I had only play tested it like two games at home and then piloted that deck to a national championship. And so like, that was, that was a good moment to feel like Gabe complimented that space because it, at the time it was like far and away, Gabe's the best player that's ever been a redemption. And that, that still may be true. Like when you look at the historical references of it. Um, so that felt like a huge compliment and a huge moment. And I realized that like, I tend to play perfect when I get in the big tournaments, when I get in the big moments, um, there's something about my personality, my makeup, and it might be developed from wrestling where I'm able to shut out all the noise. I'm able to shut out all the distractions and I tend to see what's happening and why it's happening and then get a read on my opponent of what they're trying to do. And I became really good at realizing, okay, this person's trying to set me up to play this card. So if I do this, it circumnavigates them playing that card and they're going to sit there frustrated. And it's not that I wanted to frustrate someone. I just wanted to beat them. And I think that just kind of developed over time. So I know I kind of got off your, your main question there, but like that tournament had a lot of, a lot of like, it felt validating because I think a lot of people thought I just got lucky in 2012. And so then to come back and yeah. win type one, two player in 2013, it felt really validating. And then that compliment from Gabe. Um, and then it just solidifying my play style. I think that's probably like my greatest moment or achievement. Um, that play against Tim Malley was pretty big. And then, you know, there's some funny moments. There's some good moments. Like, I think it was in teams <laughs> where I was playing Jay. I think I was playing against Jay. Um, I could be wrong about this, but I th I'm pretty sure it was Jay. And I forget who his partner was, but it was the year Jerome and I won. And I had Phineas and we had Erm and Thumum. And so I looked at Jay's hand and realized if I push Phineas and then play Zeal, he can't stop it. And he knew that too. Like I knew he knew, okay, I can't stop Zeal here. So I pushed Phineas and I did not have Zeal in my hand. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'm sure you got Zeal. You got it. And he handed me the soul. 
And all he had to do was like ban a couple characters and he stops me, right? And like, (laughs) so like, I remember that being a moment where it's just like, okay, that's pretty cool, you know? And I could be wrong. That might not have been Jay. That might be a mismemory, but I'm pretty confident that was Jay. Oh, that definitely feels like something that Jay would do. That sounds like Jay. Let's be honest here. We love Jay. But, like, it's pretty easy to put Jay on tilt and get Jay to think things, right? Or at least it was back in the day. I think it still is a little true today, yeah. but that I'm, I wasn't there for that. But I, I, I'm pretty darn sure that was Jay. I thought when he started building that up <laughs> that he was going to start talking about a Judas that he had. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Every, every, every podcast that John's on, there's, there's some way he can, he can get a jab in. <laughs> That's your that's your podcast partner too. You by know, the way. I'll be like, honest. Like when I came into Redemption, Jay was in some ways still the RLK, and like that label kind of got put on him in a way. But I'll be honest with you, like um, in the last several years that I was a part of the game, like he really emerged out of that, and he and Jeremy both established themselves as top tier players and guys that can't get put on tilt so easily. And like it's been really cool to watch them emerge as brothers because Jerome and I had a really similar relationship, you know, that we kind of emerged together and that kind of happened with them. And I know Jeremy, I guess, has had more on paper success, but I'm sure Jeremy would attribute a lot of that success to playtesting and learning from Jay. So I know we're kind of, you know, kind of backhanded commenting or complimenting Jay, but he, he definitely um, emerged and and turned into a really quality player and, and he's a quality person as well. Oh, so. you're, you're absolutely right, Josiah. I mean, and it's continued since, since you stepped away as well. I mean, over the last two years, um, you know, when you talk about top players, you can't have that conversation without talking about Jeremy. Um, and, and Jay is up there in that conversation as well. Um, he's having a ton of success this year. And frankly, he's the best blood piloter out there. And it's, it's kind of, you know, what you talk about, Tim Molly's play style and, and the deck back in 2013 and you know how Tim was piloting it and it was so different than what everyone else was doing. Jay has that. He's got that niche where no one plays Flood as well as Jay can and Flood isn't as good in anyone else's hands besides Jay's. Like I could pick up Jay's Flood deck and I'm a pretty good player, you know, not trying to be, you know, be arrogant or braggart here, but I'm a pretty good player, but I promise you Jay plays Flood twice as good as I could if I took his exact set of cards and sat down and played with it in the same tournament, I'd probably take like 40th and he would place top three. He is that good at piloting that deck, but he can do so much more than just flood. Um, He can play so many other decks as well at a really high level, uh, but he has really found like he's taken that deck from 410 to the face jokes to hey, when you sit down across the Jay, face to the face, you had better watch out for what Jay's doing when you sit down across from him because he will stomp you and crush your hopes and dreams. I will, I will say also, you have to keep in mind that obviously Jeremy and Jay go hand in hand since they play each other as brothers. So there is some of the success that Jeremy's had is attributed to all of the work put in playing Jay. Also, Jay hasn't been to nationals in the last two years. So he hasn't got a chance to showcase his ability to potentially be in that conversation either. And, you know, hopefully that changes this year and he's able to be at nationals. But you have all this success that's happened for Jeremy while Jay hasn't even been at nationals. So you don't know how far the gap is, if there is a gap or or whatever per se. But I will say that Jay did a really good job when I first got into the game of maybe being like that person you want to beat so much that you try really hard. Um, but he, he found ways to engage, like make me think about 
things that I wouldn't have thought about otherwise or think about them in ways that I wouldn't have thought um, and really get me hooked on the strategy of the game and trying to trying to just show up and beat him because every tournament we had, I got paired with him first round, and he beat me every time. And I could beat him if we were playing on Lackey or something or – you know, maybe in a, a casual game, but tournaments he always beat me, and it always drove me crazy. And then he moved away, so I can't, I can't just up and beat him now. But he he made me want to get better at the game, just from you know being aggravated at losing to him. It's kind of the way I guess maybe you were when Jerome was beating you. Yep. So, along the lines of your favorite nationals memory, everybody has, and and just not nationals, uh, anything related with the game, but everybody's got some crazy story. Like Jay's got this crazy story about a spare tire traveling to a tournament with one of his buddies named Hanson that he's told me a, a few times. I've got, you know, a couple of crazy stories of my own in just two years. So what, what's your, what's your crazy story that you have with the game of redemption? Wow. <clears throat> so I think I kind of touched on a couple of them, like with Ray asking about if we could stop in Texas on the way to Iowa and then dumping his sweetie everywhere, like both of those. Being but, around um, those personalities, there's got to be something crazier. Yeah. So I guess like, man, I don't know if this is exactly what you're looking for, but I was driving home with my cousin Keith. I got him involved in redemption for a while, and we were driving home from Tennessee Nationals. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, a truck blew its tire literally right beside us, and we ran over it. Like the tire was like rolling down the road, like the scrap leftover of it. And it like destroyed the front of our car. And then I had to tell his mom, like, Hey, I don't know what happened, but this, <laughs> you know, so like, it, you know, that was kind of a mess. And then he had to get his car fixed up and stuff, but I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for, but like, that was probably a crazy moment for us. Yeah. Some, something like that. Um, on the way to Texas, dude, I, there was so much hype in the car between me and Jeremy. Like we were, we, we at one point like had the windows down and we're shouting, going like 90 miles an hour down the, the interstate, like nationals, nationals is there. We were just pumped. We, we were, we were psyched. Um, we were jamming out, listening to music. And then, you know, it's a 12 hour ride. Um, and I drove the entire way and I don't think that my tiredness level attributed to this at all, but there was a, a freight truck, you know, 18 wheeler beside us on the interstate and I'm on cruise control, and I'm I'm just I'm steady, and I feel like he drifted into my lane. So I, you know, snatched the wheel, and I don't know if like I was reacting, you know, trying to be more proactive because I was tired, but I I jerked it that way. Then the car started to like almost drift that way, and I jerked it back the other way, and it goes back and forth for what felt like twenty minutes, but it was really only like five to six seconds at most. Um, but as soon as like we got done, me and Jeremy looked at each other. We were like, we almost died. And then there was silence. And then there was nationals. Okay. <laughs> we were just like, we just had to like almost forget about it because we <laughs> almost died. Uh, like if I hadn't pulled the car back, it like, obviously, you know, God had his hands on that vehicle that night because just one way. And if I pull back too hard, the other way, we're going into the 18 wheeler that's still right beside us. And we were between the barricade and the 18-wheeler going side to side. <laughs> like, it was almost like trying to control your your car on, like, a Need for Speed video game just back and forth. And it was, it was crazy. 
And That's awesome. that was before I even made it to my first nationals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far as like car driving stuff, like <laughs> I wasn't in the vehicle for this, but Jerome, this was before I actually started playing Jerome and Charles and Chris Erickson um, were all riding together. And I won't say who was driving. I'll just say they were in Chris's car and it was late and it started to rain. And Jerome told the driver, he was like, Hey, we should probably slow down on these back roads. Cause I don't know if you've ever been in Maryland, um, but there's some crazy back roads through some of the Maryland woods on your way into Pennsylvania. And uh, Jerome was like, Hey, we, we really need to slow down. And the driver was like, nah, we're all right. And then Jerome was like, Hey, I really think we ought to slow down. Driver's like, nah, we're all right. <laughs> and then literally as he's saying it the second time, he spins out, slams it into the side of a guardrail. They like spun around the, the front door was like trapped shut. And so then they're all sitting there and they're all like teenagers at the time. And they're like, we got to take this car home and we got to get it. Like it's Chris's car and we got to not let our, not let our parents see it. And then <laughs> make sure that, you know, Chris, like we can help pay for Chris to get it fixed and all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> it turns out like Chris's front door couldn't open anymore. <laughs> so for the rest of the time, Chris had that car. <laughs> he had to get in the passenger side, crawl over the center console and sit down and then start the car. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so like, so, uh, you know, that that's a pretty interesting story. Oh my gosh. So that makes me think of one more. Oh, here we go. They're getting better too. So this has nothing to do with redemption. Like this, dude, this has nothing to do with redemption, but I was working a job before I was finished with school where I was tearing out like old Nextel equipment out of cell phone towers and like the, the buildings underneath them. And my partner for the week couldn't, couldn't go. So I knew Chris Erickson was home for the summer. So I called him and I'm like, dude, can we, can, do you want to come work with me for a week? And I'll, you know, my boss will pay you and this is like what you'll get paid or whatever. And he's like, yeah, sure. Do it. So we end up going to this unit where like we're driving like a 20 foot flatbed truck. Right. And we're loading hundreds of pounds of like old Nextel equipment onto this truck. Well, at the very, like we come up to this one where the building's at the top of this hill and the road is washed out, like it's washed out. And so it's like just big rocks and it's going steep uphill, like probably close to a 30 degree, 35 degree in incline. Like it's, it's steep. And this big old truck doesn't have the power to get up. We started up that hill and like got to a point where the tires just started spinning and they were spinning and we were sliding back down the hill in this truck. And so like, we're trying to figure out, okay, how can we get this? So like we back it up, we put all the weight in the back, think, okay, maybe we'll get a little more traction on the back tires. They will be able to get up. And Chris starts recording me driving this truck. And so I hit this hill at like 40 miles an hour and all, all this equipment's like bouncing around, like flying everywhere. And he's like recording it as I'm going up the hill and I get almost to the top and it like can't quite get up there. So it slides all the way back down. And I come down there and Chris is yelling at me. He's like, give it one more go. Give it one more go. And I'm like, dude, we're going to blow up this truck. We're going to wreck, like, we're going to, we're destroying this road. Like, what are we going to do? And he's like, just go again. So like, he's recording it, the whole thing on his phone. And I give it one more shot and I get up there and then he's down at the bottom of the hill. And he's like, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to get up there. Like, I can't even walk up there. I don't know how you drove up there. So then he left me up there. Like, <laughs> it, I don't know. It just, it was this, crazy. This and sounds like, like, I think that's buried somewhere on my Facebook. Like, so what's really crazy is like, after all that was done, after all that was done, we go to McDonald's and we're sitting at McDonald's. And for those of you that don't know, Chris, Chris is blind. And There's blind. always a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> 
so like Chris is blind in one eye and and I'm overweight. Like I'm a I'm a big dude. Like I eat too much, right? And so we hey, go roll into tide, brother. Roll tide. And he's like squint he's squinting looking up at the uh looking up at the board like and I, I look up there and I'm like, Hey man, there's a deal for two Big Macs for six bucks and he's like, Of course the fat guy would see the deal for two two for six bucks and I'm like well, I figured I'd have to read it to you since you couldn't see it, Mr. Blind in one eye, right? Like, and this was just the relationship that we had. You know, we were buddies, but like we just slammed each other all the time. So he was making fun of me for being the fat guy and seeing the deal. And I was making fun of him for being blind and not being able to see it. So, you know, that, that's hilarious. Just, I don't know. There's good times. And, you know, all of that goes back to the relationships, you know, the relationships that you build in redemption. Like, how in the world I ended up in a 20 foot flatbed truck trying to ram it up a hill that it shouldn't have gone up with Chris is all connected to redemption, you know? Yeah. You, so. you got to tell us though, when you went back down the hill, did the brakes actually stop the truck or did it just slide no matter what? Okay. So here's what we did. Actually, Chris, Chris went down, he went down the road and like put up uh, like cones and set them out and stopped traffic both ways so that I could just come down the hill and not have to worry about, like stopping at the end of the end of it. And I could just go down into the road because I was foot on the brake the whole way. And it's just sliding because I had hundreds of pounds yeah. of more equipment on there. So like, I'm just riding the brake and it's just like sliding the whole way down the hill. I'm trying to pump it a little bit. So I have some control because I don't want to turn sideways or anything, you know, but it, that was an insane moment. And then, yeah, I came down so fast. I went right through the parking lot at the bottom of the hill and down right into the road. So he had stopped traffic, thankfully, or that would have been bad mojo too. So I guess before we get ready to to wrap up this conversation, because it's it's been an awesome conversation that's gone through a full array of topics, rabbit trails and all. And um, this is my first interaction with you, Josiah. Like we've never met in person, we've never talked. So this is me finding out a lot about you. And I mean, I'm not sharing as much about me, but um, it's been fun for me. I don't awesome. I don't know how fun it's been for for everybody else that's listening. I assume especially the people that don't have a lot of context for who you are. It's been fun. So we'll hit one more last topic before we get ready to, to close it. And that is Mr. Classic. Obviously you were one of the people that were, you know, kind of earmarked. Like if we could get this dream scenario of the top eight players in the history of redemption. And obviously you, you've not been able to commit to that. Several other people have not been able to commit to that. So we've got a different field than what would be the ideal one. But let me go down the list and I'll tell you the field. We've got number one, and that is Mr. John Early, who is on the podcast with us. Number two is The Guardian, Justin Allstead. And then you've got number three, Tyler Stevens. Four is Jaden Allstead. Five is Brian Jones. Your boy Brian, that uh, <laughs> we're not we're not too high on right now since <laughs> since you were able to beat him. <laughs> um, <laughs> six yeah. is hold on. Number six is Ron Sias. Number seven is Jay Chambers, and number eight is Mark Valake. Wait, Jeremy isn't one of the eight players. I keep forgetting that. I keep thinking Jeremy is one of the eight. Because, because frankly, I've been looking for people to bounce my deck ideas off of, and all the players that I can think of that like know the classic meta game and like were around back then are either not playing anymore, 
out of, you know, you know, reach and touch. And I thought about you, Josiah, frankly, I'm like, Hey, I haven't talked to him for a while. Maybe I'll send him something. You know, I bounced my idea off of Gabe and, but I'm like, I can't bounce it off of Jay. I can't bounce it off of Tyler. I can't bounce it off of Justin. I can't bounce it off of Jeremy, but I could bounce it off of Jeremy, but then he'd go tell Jay everything that I'm planning on doing. I love how you didn't even think about me. Fine. My name starts with Jay. I want you to know. It does. <laughs> you have to have a J name to be good at redemption. Did y'all know that Tyler's middle name starts with J? I just found this out last week. That's why Tyler's so good. He has a J name. It just happens to be his middle name. Oh, man. So the, it holds true. That's why it took him a little while to get the job done. So is this a seated tournament or is it going to be random draw? It is a seated tournament. So one versus eight, two versus seven, so forth, so on. So that should be the matchups there. Uh, I'm doing that way. So Brian and Jaden in the first round, I think is the matchup in the first round that I think is probably the most like wild card. You've got Brian returning. Yeah. You've got Jaden that's been killing. I, mean, I think it for Justin two years. and Jay is a good matchup too. Yes. Yes. I've, I've talked about that one as well. And that's not to sell anybody else short. It's just like, if you're earmarking, like what you think is the, the coolest matchups and the ones that you really want to see. I think it's the the four to five, or uh, I'm sorry, the yeah four and five, and then it's it's the two and seven, and who who knows at that point how you have it how you have it work out after that. But you see the list of names there. Um, obviously, it's not the quote unquote best players that are in the history of the game, but it's the the best players that are still active and was able to make the tournament. So you don't have your ideal field, but you have. We talked about this last week on the podcast that this is a really, really ambitious field, thing. Though. Like we've got this, we've got this tournament that's naming someone Mister Classic with a WWE style title belt. There's an actual belt that is up for grabs, um, and I, I said that we should all have like wrestling entrances for the guys and pick out like what wrestling entrance they would go to and <laughs> and whatnot. But what what do you think if if I asked you? If you were a betting man and you were going to give me odds, who would you pick as like the guy to watch? Your dark horse from that field. So I don't know enough about Mark to really make an evaluation on him. Um, here's what I know: like I know Tyler is going to go fight by the numbers banding, and now that I'm saying that, he probably will. Scouting reports. <laughs> like he loves red. He loves fight by the numbers. Like he's that's where he's going to go, Justin. Justin, I have a feeling he's going to pull out some bull crap with hidden treasures and profits. And I know spiritual warfare is not a thing anymore because Ignore got busted. But, I mean, that's just – I could be dead wrong. Justin can play anything. But, like, I just – something tells me he's going to go in that direction. Um, Jaden is a total dark horse in my opinion. He might come up with some crazy teal deck that's actually good. Um Although, I mean, that teal stuff got fleshed out so hard back in the day, and it just never was quite top tier, so maybe not. Um, John's going to run Flexbone. Like, we all know that. Um, that's not a big That's not a big surprise. And if you don't know what Flexbone is, just go on the forum and dig around. You'll find it. But but which version am I running, Josiah? Because there's, there's three pretty distinct versions out there. So which one am I going to run? Uh, I mean, in one sense it matters. In one sense it doesn't matter. You're going to have Strong Angel, Captain... Ehud, Gideon, Otto. I don't know if you'll play Secret Name or not. Um, like, that's, I mean, you might even throw a little Eli in there so you can play Eli Sound Advice. Who knows? But 
you're going to be running a bunch of fight by the numbers stuff. Um, that's faster than everybody else's fight by the numbers. Um, I feel like Martin's deck that won a national championship is probably a good one for people to look at and consider. Um, Martin is, it was his last name Miller. I think Martin Miller, um, man, somebody's going to run throne. It's probably Brian like, but who knows? Like the judges stuff is so hard to get away from. It's, it's just so consistent. I have no idea what Ron will run. Um, and this isn't like to, to beat up Ron by any stretch, but like he's probably in Mr. Classic from like, he's probably the truest Mr. Classic that's in the game. Um, having been there from the beginning, I don't know if he's had more success in the last couple of years, but I know in the time that I've been playing, he struggled to have like a ton of great success. And it's not because he's not a great player. It's just that the game changed so much and he still tended to think about it a lot the way that he did when he was winning a bunch of titles. Um, so like, that's kind of my breakdown of like what could be happening in that space. I think Justin and Jaden, they're just, it's just too hard to know what they're going to do. Like, it's just too hard to know. They could play anything. So if I was going to pick someone that I think is going to come out and win it, like obviously the odds on Fravid is probably John, but with his track record in this day and age and this style of play, he's going to take second. So we already ah. can pencil him in for that. And then who actually, who actually wins it? <laughs> um, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. I wouldn't be surprised if the winner of Jaden and Brian doesn't come out on top. If whoever wins that matchup might find a way to squeak in there. Um, although for that to happen, I guess hey. they'd have to knock John out in the semis. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't get into the final. So maybe that can't happen because John has to take second. So, you know, uh, gosh, there's so many ways this can go, man. That's validation though. I've been hyping up the Brian and Jaden matchup and you coming on and saying that about it. Hey, that, that's validation. Let me ask you this. Let me pose you this one question. Would you take Fortress Allstead, one of the, the two with the last name Allstead, versus the field? Would you go Allstead or field? So I can have both Allsteads or the rest of the field? Yes. Whew, that's a tough call. Um, Nothing. Nothing's ever – easy in life but i feel like you can feel confident either way like you could be like eh, there's enough stuff on the other side yeah i think i'm gonna lean on i think i'm gonna lean on on the field against both all stats it's not saying like that i don't think either of them could win it either of them could easily win the tournament and i wouldn't be surprised by it at all but giving me six players versus two and when i look down that list i really see like I really see four names that can really, really push them as, as far as my knowledge of the game. Um, so I'll take I'll take a four versus two any day of the week. That's that's definitely reasonable and sound uh, way to pick through it. But it's also the fact that with having um, rotation happen and people are playing new style decks that focus on new cards, that especially for someone like me that doesn't have very much experience with classic. Uh, scroll type cards like it's just the idea of them playing decks that you just don't know and and they could grab some deck that does some type of strategy point that people aren't thinking about at all to where then it could you know it could come down to oh I built this into my deck and you didn't type of thing it's just wide open and I think that's that's what makes it so cool because you get all these guys that are are able to hold their own and I'll even put Mark in there. I'm sure he's going to be able to hold his own because he's really working hard at, at at 
getting a deck, even though he keeps selling himself short because he's playing John. John's not the big bad wolf. He comes in second anyway, so uh, <laughs> I really have no idea. And they they want me to, or they they asked me about doing commentary, and I was like, all right, here's here's the rule: don't expect me to know what the cards do because I can't see the I can't see the artwork to know what card it is, and I can't read the text because it's on the artwork. Um, as long as you're yeah. okay with me going in blind, but I have no idea what kind of decks people are gonna play to even prepare for. Like, oh, I need to know what like classic throne plays are are in there just so that I can, you know, sound intelligent when I talk about it. But there's, there's nothing. It, it could be anything like you, you went down and you said, based on what you know about the players. I was going to say the hard thing with throne right now is tough because King Amaziah play is gone because you have to choose your opponents. So King amazing is busted. And that was like the clutch rescue in throne. So I don't know, like it's still so fast, but I just don't know if it ha- if it can really truly punch through. The, right now. the other factor we're throwing too, Josiah, and you know, you were, I mean, you were the throne innovator. Um, everyone followed your lead on that one. Um, but throne got really good when Cloud of Witnesses came out. It was good before then. It was okay. It was decent, but. In the scrolls only format that we're going to play this tournament in, you don't get King Saul, you don't get David the Shepherd, which means you're chained to Abigail is harder. Samuel has been banned, so you don't have that piece either. So the throne deck to me, like I looked at it, and while I think throne yeah. is really good, the fact that you don't have your three powerhouses with Samuel, King Saul, um, give me the easy ban to Abigail, and David to drop your throne and play right off the bat on your first rescue. The fact that you don't have those pieces and the fact that, like you said, King Amaziah is no longer a guaranteed rescue. um, The fact that those pieces aren't there, like I don't know that Throne's good enough in a scrolls-only format because it it was okay, but it got really good when Cloud came out. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, and so... Again, back to just part wide of what open. hurts too is like, <laughs> yeah, it is wide open. Um, I guess I will say like, is is the arrest in Gethsemane deck viable in this format? I don't remember. So I, I don't think it is. Um, it's another deck that I looked at. Um, arrest still works the way that it did when I won in fifteen with it. Um, the problem is that deck, yeah. uh, similar to the throne deck, got so much from Cloud. The 15 arrest deck got so much from early church. The Greeks, the philosophers, the Areopagus triggering your A-bomb, all those aspects of it. Um, do I think if I played a site lock deck, yeah. I would play silver sites and arrest? Probably, but I couldn't do it the way that I did it then. The ignore rule change, stopping that walk-in uh, win with Watchful Servant is a big deal there too. Um, so I don't think that deck is viable for this sure. in scrolls only. Um, do I think a site lock deck is viable? Potentially. Um, I think straight silver size of the rest is very good. Um, I, as I look at like brigades and what they were good at and try to like get my mindset back in that day and era of, of, you know, scrolls only cards, like I feel like I could build a blue site lock deck and I don't think a lot of players are going to be on blue. Uh, I think people are going to gravitate more towards the red banding from Martin Miller, the fight with the numbers banding deck. Um, 
you know, like you said, Justin's a dark horse. He could play just about anything. I, I won't be shocked or surprised um, to see anything that he plays um, beyond being, oh, this is what he chose to play. Because he could play mono silver. He could play green teal. He could play a judge's deck. He could play the red deck. He could play the blue patriarch offense deck. Like he could he could play whatever he feels like playing um, and play it very well, obviously. Um, but I just... I feel like a lot of the players are going to gravitate towards the judges for the speed aspect. Um, yes, they lose Samuel, but they still have Edict on Gideon as a really solid play. Um, red, either in a fight by the numbers banding offense like Martins, or you know solo red heroes like Asahel choosing the blocker and dropping Bravery and then playing a Soldier's Prayer and dropping Bravery again, just picking off defenses and getting guaranteed rescues uh, that way. You know, I think players are going to gravitate towards those. I just don't see Blue having those same uh, tools necessarily, and the fact that again the ignore rule change took away Zebulon's teeth um, hurts that deck's in game um, as well. I mean, it's got Benjamin plus um, battle winners for CBN things and stuff like that. But I just I don't think a lot of players are going to go towards blue. So like if I was going to play Sight Lock, um, I'd play blue or silver sights. But um, it's looping all the way back around to your question about arrest, um, I've thought about it. I don't I don't think it's viable. Blue Ahiemez, Blue Eli, and all of a sudden you have Urim and Thummim in a Genesis offense with a choose the blocker option. And don't forget about Ira. Yeah, you have Blue Fight by the Numbers if you want to. Yep. Yeah. Although I think Blue Fight by the Numbers has always been bad because there's just not enough good blue cards to do. So I wouldn't play Ira if I was going to go that route. But I think that's a really unique route that no one's going to think about. Yeah. Um, that could be really fun. The the only small drawback to that is that the Genesis requirement wasn't just for Zebulon, it's also for Benjamin, your CBN granting characters. Like that's a big deal too, right? So like if you go away from Genesis, you lose Except Benjamin, Benjamin only he just dies, right? Right. Yeah, so you you uh no, I don't know. It's been too long, man. So you still get one rescue with him. Sure. Hold on, I'm going to go look. Yep. Well, I, I I, I, th- I think we all are. I think he just dies. Like you still get the CBN. No, if yeah, all I'm you're pretty sure after battle. are Genesis heroes, Genesis enhancements cannot be negated. Otherwise, discard Benjamin after battle. So A, he dies, and B, they're not CBN for that. Oh, battle. you're right. You're right. Yeah. So they're not CBN. Now, I mean, yep. you still got Joseph, so you can play Tin Joseph. Yeah, no, that's true. Who, that's who tough. gives you some CBN options um, without needing that Genesis? Um, requirement there and you could play a blue splashy type offense i mean that or or a, or a blue non-genesis offense so that's that's an option that could be something well and you still have you you get jacob who's going to go ahead and ban to all the silver heroes that are out there so like if you want to fight by the numbers you don't need to run ira there anyways you can just go jacob and ban to strong or captain or whatever so or i guess he only goes to captain huh an Old Testament angel or something, I forget. Um, No, I think you can or, go to any silver. I don't know. We're getting in the weeds on it now, but... Yeah, but that, that's the fun part is, I mean, hearing p- players hearing you talk about this, they're going to be like, oh, that's an idea I hadn't thought about. Just you, do, you approach the game differently and you have that historical. Um, but Jacob can go to any silver brigade hero, but if you go to TSA, TSA is going to get kicked out of battle. It'll be fight with the numbers just with Jacob, you know, which isn't very good. Right. No. All right. So before we get ready to uh, to end this, because we're already past the uh, the midnight timeline that you gave us, have you had a chance to, like, I, I don't know how much work you did into this, knowing that you were going to come on the podcast. Have you heard my promo that I did for Mr. Classic? So I actually have not. I actually did almost no work. <laughs> Sorry, man. I kind of I kind of freelanced it coming in. So good. That's what I wanted. 
That's good. That's what I wanted. Okay. I cut a promo for it and I did it in the hopes of it being like a wrestling style promo, like WWE, you know, like classic attitude era, you know, just all hype about like an upcoming pay-per-view or something. And I don't know how well it, it, it worked out, but I, I enjoy it. Degeneration and X. I had fun. Yeah, it doesn't have any chops in it, I promise. It, it's it's rated, rated G. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll play it for you, and you, you, just, you just rate my promo, okay? Okay. We'll get Josiah's official grade on my promo <laughs> skills. All right. Are you ready to see the best of the best versus the best of the best? For over 28 years, Redemption has stood tall, stood against the test of time with several champions, but there's never been a Mr. Classic. Well, get ready as Redemption plans to crown the first ever Mr. Classic in Knoxville, Tennessee at Meridian Baptist Church on March 17th and 18th, hosted by the Chamber Brothers. Make your plans to be there as we get ready to settle the score once and for all with the top eight in the history of the game going toe-to-toe for the right to be crowned Mr. Classic! Hey, hey, hey. Dude, all about that. That's awesome. <laughs> you got me pumped up and I'm not even going to be there. <laughs> Who's streaming it? Because now I got to watch. That's awesome. I assume we're going to have Jaden there and I've got all my stuff. So hopefully we'll be able to rig up some kind of streaming. But yeah. So on the on the Attitude Era style promo, what do you give it? Zero to ten. Oh, man, that's that's right up there at the top of uh, at the top of them. You know, I guess I'm going to give you like a 9.7 because I think if I would have done it, I would have hit a little longer on the classic. You get it, the Mr. Classic. I would hit that. Uh, I would hit that classic all the way. But outside of that, dude, I think it was perfect. It's, it's awesome. So I'll, I'll take this and I'll internalize it and I'll be better for the future. <laughs> no, dude, dude. don't like take the, that bad. Man. I love it. I sat here laughing. It's awesome, dude. It's really good. I really like it. Yeah, now I want to go pull out some old WWE videos and see Shawn Michaels hit somebody with some sweet chin music, you know? Absolutely. Even though we don't have the ideal field, I think we've got all the hype in the world for it. So, man, it's going to be a good tournament. And it's kind of awesome how how much traction we've gotten for an unofficial tournament. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And it's good for the community. So it reminds me a lot of the Type 2 only that used to get held by uh, – Oh man, uh, John, you're gonna have to help me. It's Bill Wild, Wild Bill. Bill. I forget what his is it. Was his last name Wester? Was that no, Wester's no, no, dad? No, that was Pat. Voight. 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 Yeah, Wild Bill Voight. That's yep. Nathan's dad. That's Nathan's dad. Yeah, that's right. Wild Bill Voight. <laughs> are Nathan? Are Nathan or uh, Wild Bill around anymore? Are they yeah, pretty much? No, they're. Uh, they were at nationals last year. Um, you know, they're at. They come to the Minnesota tournament. That's uh, awesome. The Minnesota tournaments have been kind of infrequent, I would say. Um, we'll get one or two in a row, and then we'll stop for a couple months. Then we'll get one or two, and then we'll stop for a couple months. But um, so yes, yeah, so I've seen them, you know, a few times in the past year and a half, two years here. Um, so, but yeah, they're they're around, they're playing. I haven't seen cool. uh, Andrew Wester in in six, seven, eight years. Um, but uh, I saw his dad, um, Pat, um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. 
Um, so, and I think, uh, I think Pat still lives here in Rochester, but, uh, yeah, good guys, good guys for sure. No doubt. Well, John, uh, and John and John, <laughs> it's been great. Like, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to come on here and reminisce and, uh, talk about some history, laugh a little bit, find out some stuff that's going on new in the game and, you know, no promises, but maybe I'll look into getting my son a couple, a couple of redemption cards, maybe a couple of booster boxes or something. Not booster boxes. Can't swing that right now. Box, like uh, packs. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Maybe we'll get a couple packs and uh, just see what that does. See if he doesn't get interested enough to pull me back in. But I really appreciate the time. Yes, sir. And, uh, it's been fun. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Josiah. It's been a pleasure catching up with you, buddy. And uh, you know who to call to get those those packs from. So just you know, give me a jingle when you're ready. Okay. <laughs> the eternal salesman. Um. Definitely, definitely thanks. And anytime you, you get that nostalgia feeling and you want to talk about the game of redemption, it's an open door. Thanks, Hendricks. I appreciate it, man. Have a good night, guys. All right. Peace. All right, guys. That's going to do it. This was a long episode, so if you stuck around, I want to thank you. Definitely enjoyed hanging out with Josiah and learning a little bit about him since that was my first real encounter with him or interaction with him. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.